Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mukigana harrington joined by my North by Northeast by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston for Knowledge. Thurston, how are you today? I'm pretty good, Mookie. I actually did wrestle last night, but uh, besides wrestling, I, I, there's a, one of our photographers, one of the guys who does photography for a lot of the promotions in the area. I guess he like lived in Japan for a while, and uh, he has just a, a, a bin full of Japanese wrestling magazines. So I, uh, if you follow Grapplers and Honest on Instagram and you look at the story, I've been posting a lot of pictures from. I'm just marking out over these. Uh, I don't know if this is weekly pro wrestling. It's it's the baseball one, but I'm, I'm, I've been looking through some Japanese wrestling magazines, and it's been a uh, pretty fascinating and uh, that's awesome no i i love that's one of my favorite things to do is to um just find photographs from wrestling especially from the 80s and 90s where a lot of it has not been put on the web in some way oh yeah but there's a lot of ton of great content in japan of course with their weekly content they took so many pictures like one of my favorite things is when i get those uh united states citizen immigration services um reports back about different wrestlers one of the things that WCW would do was submit a bunch of pictures from people from Japanese magazines yeah. to prove how important they were. So they, at one point, they like for John Tenta's, they they like submit one being all these pictures of him in Japan, and then there's like a PWI ranking or something, and they're like, "See, it proves he was the fourth most important wrestler of the year." There you go. Yeah. So, I've, but I've, I love uh, that stuff. On the uh, technological side, also yesterday, I uh, received an Amazon Echo Dot. Do you know what that is? 
Yeah, it's like uh, one of those Alexas, right? Yeah, it's like a little person who lives in my house now. It's uh, it Well, is. you had a guy in your fridge. Well, that's true. He didn't talk to me, though. This one actually talks to me. So, so how much better is this than, say, just having a Siri or, you know, a wife or spouse? Right. Um, so I'll never have to get married now, now that I have an, an Echo Dot. No, I don't know. It's a... Uh, I've only played around with it a little bit, but I, maybe it's good enough for, like, um, when you would Google things, but it make, maybe it makes it a little bit easier to Google, like, Amazon, who is Vince McMahon? Can you hear that? I can. Have you have you seen the the classic video of who poops? No, what's that? It's someone asks Alexa who poops, and oh, then Alexa God. lists a list of about four hundred people. What? But what's bizarre about it is they fixed it, but nobody can figure out what this list was based on because it's such a specific list of people. But then it goes really bizarre, so it'll be like British cricket cricketer so and so, the Queen of England, wow. this this uh, uh famous physicist, this this guy who was on a reality show. It's just like they can't figure out what algorithm combined all these people into that list. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Uh, so you're, you're, are you training it to be, you know, I, I guess that's what we really need is, is for Amazon's thing to start having more AI connectivity so you can train it to do things. Yeah. So you can be like, Alexa, rate this match five stars. Alexa, rate this match three stars. Yeah. Alexa, what will be the match rating for blank versus blank? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I don't know if this one has that, but I think it's, it's attached to an operating system that they update remotely. Like when I turned it on, they're like, hang on, we have to do an update or something like that. Oh so. yeah. I'm. I'm sure it's always updated. You should see if you can dictate articles to it and get it to write it down in some way. And then you can teach it over time. Just be like, Alexa, write a new article. Uh, this time it's about raw is not long enough. Right. Yeah. I, I, so you can rename the name to there's a few options besides Alexa. And I've, I've chosen uh, Amazon, which I hope I haven't just turned. I have just turned it on. Hopefully it doesn't hear me talk. But I've, I've renamed it to the name of the company because I feel like that's more appropriate. And I'm a little worried if I if I actually use a, a a human's name that I'm going that it's going to I don't know. You're gonna go. You're gonna go her. Become something exactly. Become something more than it than it really is. I don't know. But yeah. So I've I've done that. Hopefully it's not. And I, I have asked it questions like. Amazon, are you listening to my conversations? And it, and it gives me like a privacy act statement. I only send audio back to Amazon when I hear you say the wait word. For more information and to view Amazon's privacy notes, visit the help section. <laughs> do, do you listen to your podcast out loud or on um on uh, uh on headphones? Uh, usually on headphones when I listen to it. Even at home? Y- yeah, yeah. Beca- because I don't know. It's uh, if, if nothing else, the neighbors don't have to hear WrestleNomics that way. Well, I just wanted to see if I can get some of the other podcasts to drive you nuts by saying in the middle of it things like, yeah. Amazon, please list all elements that start with the letter L. Right. L- luckily, you're on headphones right now. so uh, I know, but hopefully later you. you'll listen to it. Yes, we'll have to just uh, euphemistically refer to it as Jeff Bezos' company or something. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, we haven't talked since uh, we did the video podcast, since Halloween, since uh, lots of things have been going down here. We had yeah. someone on my curling team got a concussion. Really? Yeah. They were they were curling with a stick and they, they gave a lunge to their stick and their feet went right out from underneath them. And they took a they took a butt bump and then their head went down and cracked wow. against the ice. Wow. So, yeah. So she's out for the rest of the uh, season. It was not my wife, but it oh. was our, our my friend's wife. And wow. so she is. 
she missed a whole week of school teaching and now Jeez. she's uh recovering and she can't even can't even go back to it not that i think she would but she can't even go back for like three more weeks you know till the concussion cleans up so we're done so that was no good but yeah are, are so, you done too then no we're gonna get some subs for the okay. next couple of weeks here so if you live in the twin cities here and you are a beginning level curler and uh you need to show up get some helmets to dakota county yeah get some helmets we talked about it we did see that's actually why if you're down low and you're curling normal it's it's unlikely you'll get a concussion because you're so low to start with. You'll you'll get bruise on your side from falling over, but you start so close to the ground, it's not a big problem. The bigger problem is when you're on the ice, like uh, brooming, and then you can trip over you know stones that are behind you that you might not have seen, and go up that way, or you can just hit a a slick patch because curling ice is pebbled ice. It's not like hockey ice. It's oh, not smooth. A, yeah. So uh, it's it, it kind of has patches that are very smooth and then patches that are very rough. And so every now and then you'll you'll hit something and you'll slide a little bit. get slick. Okay. That's Curlnomics, my other podcast. There you go. Um, the, uh, how, did you get any trick-or-treaters for Halloween? No, I live in an apartment that's like in the, in the back. It's like not even the front complex up on the sidewalk. It's, it's further back, so absolutely not. I got zero trick-or-treaters. Was I did, home on Halloween? I was probably training on Halloween anyway. Did I even explain the whole trunk-or-treat thing we did last week? We went to a parking lot and gave candy out of the back of our trunk. No. Like heathens. And, out, uh, out of the back of your trunk. Yeah, you decorate your trunk and then you give it to what? children. Yeah, there's, no, there's no drugs involved? You'd think that. Uh and so we did that, and that was actually very successful, kind of a neighborhood thing. And then on Halloween, nobody showed up. It was so weird. We went a good, like, hour longer than we normally do for anyone to come for the first batch. So we have so much extra candy right now. So oh, wow. the next the next WrestleNomics trivia contest might just be for Almond Joys. There you go. That'd be a good, uh, that's a good uh, temptation. I don't think it's worth sending Almond Joys through the mail. <laughs> Well, maybe like did didn't Alan send, Alan Cunningham send Jill Lanza like a box full of European candy? Maybe we have some European listeners or something. I was going to say OSW review. I think they do. Uh, like you can bar? get a special. Yeah, you can get like a special chocolate bar. And uh, g- luckily, there's a world market um, here in town, and they sell tons and tons of crazy European candy. Or like they had Kinder eggs, which is something I always see when I'm in 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 U- Europe or in Canada. But it was actually from South Africa. Oh. It's kind of bizarre. So a lot of stuff like that, but uh, no, uh, not everything necessarily. Uh-oh, I'm being invaded by a uh, <laughs> dog right now. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the clicking and clacking of the dog coming up the stairs. We have a special guest this week on WrestleNomics Radio. I do, Meliora, my dog. She is, she's very happy to be finding out why I was talking up here all by myself. <laughs> um, but the, and then on, yeah, so we, we did get some ca- people for halloween but it was much down and it's gotten kind of cold so it's kind of a weird weird halloween time but that's our that's our our nine minutes of uh, uh local banter there you uh, go. so we can actually get into the real stuff now so we can time code it for everyone else that mm-hmm. you know skip the first nine minutes if you don't care so much about what brandon bought online and what mookie gave out at halloween yes uh, i'm going to copenhagen in uh about two weeks here right. so if you need anything from denmark please let me know okay I will keep it in mind. Yeah, you keep it in mind. Uh, one guy who's not in Denmark right now, not in America right now, but via video appeared at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Yeah, well, we he had a he pretty big event. In America. Where is he right now? Oh, I, I figure Fozzie's touring Mars or oh. something. So I woke up to a, a text message this morning from uh, 
our friend and listener, Dave Jarka, and he texted me, he says, is, is this Jericho versus Omega match for real? And, uh, and, and uh, some people were asking me about that uh, yesterday, too, cause, because they had this Twitter exchange where they were cutting promos on each other or whatever on Twitter. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. Jericho's not going to wrestle Omega. They're just, they're just having banter on Twitter, maybe to create some buzz, but there's, Jericho's not going to be wrestling for New Japan. And lo and behold, like we, we wake up this morning, or if, if you were watching it uh, as it happened on New Japan World, uh, Kenny Omega defended the U.S. title against Trent Beretta. He beat Trent Beretta, and then he got on the microphone. And usually, like, the New Japan formula is you have your champions defend their titles, and then after they defend their titles or win the title or whatever, the next challenger comes out and, like, does some sort of angle. So he... he basically put out an open challenge anybody you know this is the part of the show where i'm supposed you're supposed to be supposed to come out and challenge me so he waited and nobody came out and then the lights went down and then a jericho promo played and basically challenged uh, kenny omega to a u.s title match at wrestle kingdom on january 4th in the tokyo dome so that's so, happening yeah so let's talk a little bit about this i feel like reading that terrible self-promotional book by jericho <laughs> has given me some insight into his head right. Uh, in, in some interesting ways, like I, I've, I, I should start off by saying I was a big Jericho fan for a long time. I was a huge Jericho fan in the nineties and the early two thousands. And I remember I would go out, I, I even bought like, I went to logos, the Christian bookstore in town in Rochester yeah. at the time. And I bought like a Christian magazine because he had done an interview in it. Um, just, just because I was that big of a fan of his, like I would seek out stuff like that, which, you know, wasn't going to be on the internet necessarily because it was too small of a publisher. And one thing that really jumps through is that for a while here, he struggled with, um, the balance between the band and the wrestling life. And he tells a story in the book, the latest one, no is a four letter word, uh, about how there was one promoter in Germany who he wanted – I think it was Germany or the Nordics that he wanted to do this like big heavy metal festival. But the problem was they would only do it if they did it as part of a wrestling show as well. And I think they did a wrestling show every year. And so they basically said, we'd book Fozzie, but you have to wrestle on the wrestling show. And so he would turn them down every year because he he felt very strongly that he wanted Fozzie to get in because they were good musicians and that him being a wrestling star should have nothing to do with it. And this is like a big point of contention for him where, you know, they're willing to pay him, you know, pretty good, but he, he refused to budge on this one thing. And one, it tells you a lot of things. Number one, it tells you that he does, did have deals at least in the mid 2000s where he could walk away and wrestle somewhere else that would the problem was never that he was under some wwe contract he was always under in his words a per appearance contract and that he is not bound to wwe in some certain way um and do we think that's the case today like that that's a question somebody already asked me is like is, is chris jericho even under a wwe contract so I would say Chris Jericho is under probably a loose agreement with WWE regarding promotion on in America. So I don't know if Chris Jericho could go to TNA or Ring of Honor because those are American companies and that even a lot of the trademarks for Chris Jericho, they're they're still registered under WWE. So there's issues there. Now, the question worldwide, are they registered? I don't know. Um, He clearly has prior use. You know, you know, dating back well before WCW, back to Japan, back to Mexico, back to Calgary, and all those other things. Um, not, yeah, because tr- he trained in Calgary originally. Um, of course, he's from Winnipeg. Uh, but 
he has that long history with it. So, you know, he does have claims to it. I think he has very much a handshake agreement with them that lets him kind of come and go. And they basically it's per appearance. He's done a couple, you know, he did a um, uh, didn't he wrestle in Japan recently for them? Jericho for New Japan? Yeah. No, no, not New Japan, but for WWE when they oh, did like a, a yeah. European. I think, or, he's, I think he's repeatedly done the, the Japan tours. Yeah, so I mean, he clearly has that interest. Um, can WWE stop him from doing this? Uh, yeah, because he did the Tokyo shows in July uh, and and the end of June. And I believe and he Singapore. worked. I believe he worked Neville on that Beast in the East uh, Japan show that they put on the network a couple of years ago. Yeah, so I mean, he he clearly has an affinity for going over to yeah. Japan. And I think he's wrestling. worked Nakamura what, maybe last year as well. So I I think he's been on every Japan tour that they've done the last few years. Exactly. So there is that element of it where you could say he is um, his commodity value in Japan is actually very high because he's found a way to even when he's not doing regular WWE TV to make sure that he's still going over there uh, quite regularly in wrestling. Um, I people would say, can WWE stop him? I don't know if it's that sort of situation. I would really believe this is the sort of situation where Jericho makes it clear that this is what he's going to do and this is what he wants to do. And WWE has the you know ability to say to him, "Hey, we'll give you a bunch of money to come back to WWE and not do that." But short of that, he can do what he wants. I, I don't think he's under there. The other thing I'd go against is that that um, the wrestling yacht, you know, the boat tour that he's planning for next year, the cruise, yeah, the cruise, yes. And I think that's the key element of all of this is that, and as as funny as that sounds, that's proof that Jericho is doing what he wants, right? That's proof that he's out there booking his own wrestling shows. It's proof that he's out there booking his own music stuff. And that he's really kind of outside that grasp of what WWE is. And when you look at what talent is getting associated with that, it was the Young Bucks and Ring of Honor and all these other people. And so I don't expect to see Jericho necessarily wrestling on that. Though in light of this, this might really signal that Jericho is going all in for his more kind of independent streak for a little while. Um, but I, to me, just with that, the way he's been organizing and working on that cruise for so long, it says to me that he's not really under such strict WWE boundaries. And so, yeah, I, I do think he's under a per appearance agreement. I imagine he has a open ended agreement with them where they can kind of pick it up and drop it. And I remember years ago, Hulk Hogan's attorney said something very similar where he, they were talking about how they basically signed an open ended deal where then they can revive it whenever Hogan is back doing stuff. So it's not like they have to always renegotiate everything every single time because the name Hulk Hogan, of course, with the Marvel trademark and all that is a, a tough thing to kind of just bring on television instantaneously. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of surprising that that I woke up to this news today that because I, I just feel like Jericho is really loyal to WWE and uh, the cruise is one thing because it's just his own project. It's not uh, another emerging uh, wrestling business. But New Japan is, and uh, and New Japan's got this global vision, and obviously, uh, and like I, like I said when I, my friend texted me this morning, um, he said I, I might actually watch Wrestle Kingdom, and he, and he probably wasn't planning on to otherwise. And so, if New Japan is trying to appeal to a, a more global market, which we are, we know that they are, uh, Chris Jericho is a really valuable asset for them to have on Wrestle Kingdom to get more English-speaking fans to get interested in the show. So but the point is, yeah, like, yeah, I think I think Jericho's like, getting older. Yeah. And I think WWE's interest in him might have waned a little bit. I think so. so my, my point is he's like, he's making it good for himself. He's he's making himself a worth a valuable commodity. I think it's pretty smart on his part. 
Yeah, and so like my point is that do you think WWE is happy about this? Like why? And it, did he cl- did he bring this up to WWE first? I'm not necessarily clear it, but be like, hey Vince or Triple H, I'm about to to do this for New Japan. Just just want to let you know so you don't find out uh, through the news. But uh, it's he, hard to he, say. He's, he's so he, he, there's those stories that that you've told from his book that like he, he you know that when he pitches that idea to to Vince about working with Michaels and Bray Wyatt or whatever, and and he has like. He's, you know, I think you said he's, he's creating a, a demagoguery around Vince. Like he looks up at, at Vince as this father figure. So it's surprising that he would do this to me. I think the flip of it, though, is he's got this weekly podcast. He's got his band. He's always had this other side of him of saying, I need to hustle for myself and no one else is going to believe in me. And so his relationship with WWE has always been a lot more like um, you should be doing this because it's best for me. And so there is that element of it where it's like he wants to go see Keith Richards, but it's a raw night. So he goes and does it. And then his brags about how he was able to do it. And Vince McMahon couldn't even meet Keith Richards. So I, I think Jericho's idea is always what's best for me. And then it go it stems from that. And a lot of times going back to WWE is what he would say is best for me. He was pissed off about that Fandango. Um, Fandango angle obviously because he felt it was a waste of him right he put over fandango at wrestlemania and then there was no real follow-up for fandango and there's and he thought he was getting himself ready to go to like a world title picture and and that didn't work either so i to me it's it's always been jericho likes what's best for jericho and jericho's smart enough to sometimes read the reading on the wall and start saying wow i should get to mexico because cool things are happening in mexico i should get to japan because cool things are happening in japan and now he's saying oh god People are talking all about New Japan. It's not about WWE. There's another Canadian guy here that maybe I even have a connection with in some way. You know, it's it's hard to say that Jericho can't get in touch with Omega through um, through Dave. And also, like he points out, Jado was uh, Jericho's tag partner at one point in Japan. So clearly, those two have a relationship of some sort. So yeah. I, I'm and not just on the internet these days. All you got to do is follow somebody and have them follow you back and then you can dm them you know yeah exactly and so i think it's it's smart on jericho's part because he didn't really you know he did work a lot of people into thinking oh god jericho is pissed off about you know omega calling himself the best in the world and wrestling the best thing from canada and all this stuff so um i think it's it's smart it's it's dangerous for new japan because jericho is getting older and is getting um limited in what he can do and I think at a certain point, you know, he's not necessarily going to be – I think he's going to be above Billy Gunn, but um, I don't right. think he's going to be a Tanahashi, you know, out there. And But I, I think at the same time, Omega, it's fresh for Omega, right? It's it's intriguing. Um, I, I do really hope that Jericho brings up the Tamagi stuff more and <laughs> just makes it a whole angle there. So yeah, I, Jericho's I, 46. Yeah, and, and so that's not a young man's game to be going He will be Japan. 47 in four days. So by January, he'll be 47. Um, it's interesting I, too that everybody think thought, about the size of the arena Jer- WWE wrestles in when they go there. They wrestle in a five thousand, six thousand seat arena. Well, they, right? they, go to, they go to the Sumo Hall, and the way WWE sets things up, even for house shows, takes out a lot of seats. So we, I'm sure we could look up the attendances, but it's well, is it, it even be in the Su- high Sumo thousands. Hall? It's it's called uh, you know on Cage Match they call it Ryo Goku Koku Gaigen. <laughs> Ryogoku Kukikan, which is just another, this is a Japanese uh, term for Tokyo Sumo Hall. 
or sumo got hall. it okay you're right it is the the, yeah. the sumo hall okay um but they, they see set it up for pretty small and so i think for jericho you know wrestling at wrestle kingdom which is going to be what how many how many thousands of people uh, last year, last couple of years, has been twenty five or twenty six thousand. The advance is stronger this year, so I don't know, maybe thirty thousand. Yeah, so thirty thousand people, you know, short of a WrestleMania or a, a huge Royal Rumble or something like they did when they went to the Alamo Dome. Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be comparable to that Alamo Dome show they did for the Rumble this year. So I mean, it's it's a big deal for him, and and it's going to be a high profile match, and he's going to get to do a long match. And I think that's the other yeah. element of it is that Jericho is enough of a, you know, he is a connoisseur of his own wrestling to the point where I think he is frustrated sometimes that he doesn't get those 20, 30 minute matches. And that when he worked with Michaels, Michaels could basically say, hey, we're going to do this. And no one stopped that. So, uh, you know, for 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 all this, the the mud I've slung at, at Chris Jericho uh, this year, I do feel like I did get some insights from the book about kind of where he is in his headspace. Yeah. And this isn't as shocking now that I think about it because Jericho is big about promoting what's great for Jericho. And he is a wrestling fan at heart. And so I think it does eat him, eat him up inside that he doesn't feel that he can have the best matches in the world in WWE with those performers. Yeah. I think he, he recognizes AJ Styles could give him a match of that quality, but WWE doesn't necessarily give them the platform to do that usually. Yeah, yeah, there there is a pattern of in WWE of him wanting to work all the best workers. I think you just see that. I don't I don't see that because of any rumor or news that anybody's reported, but you just see how okay, he's he get he, he probably got to pick to work Neville on this show. He got to pick to work Balor. He got to do a program with AJ Styles. It it definitely looks to me like he's kind of like picking out Oh, I really want to work with this guy or Nakamura or oh, I really want to work with Kenny Omega. But yeah, I but I think another really surprising thing here is everybody thought that Omega was going to face Kota Ibushi uh, at the Tokyo Dome. And so, by the way, all this stuff is coming out of a, a New Japan show called Power Struggle in Osaka that happened uh, this morning on November 5th. Why do I have it down as November 3rd? It's November 5th, though, uh, which was at Osaka Perfection. And I feel silly because I, yep. I kind of, I kind of introduced it as if it was at the event called Russell Kingdom. Rather, it was about Russell Kingdom, but yes, it was at Power Struggle. But this other thing, yeah, the Obushi thing is really interesting to me yep. because so, so, so Tanahashi and Obushi, Obushi had a, an IC title match. That was the main event of the show. Uh, the show was sold out in advance, but it was Tanahashi and Obushi. Tanahashi beat Obushi to retain the title, and uh, afterward, Jay White came out. But we can get into that. Yeah. Well, I would say a couple things with Obushi. Number one. Um, the Ibushi Omega angles made you think, yes, that's the direction they were going and that that was going to be a big deal. But I would I would say New Japan has not valued Obushi very highly in his run. They and I, vi- and I they, wonder if it, the Cruiserweight Classic stuff and the flirting with WWE resulted in, all right, you're going to do this Tiger Mask W gimmick for a while. And uh, and oh, if, the, if this Chris Jericho opportunity comes up, maybe they're more willing to put Ibushi in the back seat. You know what I mean? Like. Is is it like a loyalty thing, sort of like it was with Shibata for a while? Well, that's what I wonder. So I, I think they, they clearly have not seen Obushi through, you know, the star, star, star eyes that they sometimes give some guys. So there's that element. There's the element that says this Jericho deal is great if you can get it to work. And it's it's the sort of thing that it's better to do now than to wait a year or wait two years on. This is the the the, the iron is hot. This is a great time to strike. Omega is on a roll. You can always do this Omega Obushi later on, and both guys are still young. Yeah. Jericho's not that young, and Jericho's schedule might not work out in the future to do this. Yeah. So 
I think it's just better gamesmanship to do it now than and to hold off on that Abushi Omega thing, which you can you can pull out any other time and still get a lot of action out of it. So I think I, it's a combination Omega, of how he's of any story that that's ongoing in New Japan. That's the one that can has been stretched out the longest and can continue to be stretched out the longest because they've been doing a really slow and subtle build with it that goes all the way back to I think when Abushi was wrestling AJ Styles in probably 2015 for the uh, IWGP title. And there's that moment where Kenny Omega gets up on the apron and thinks about interfering or something like that. And they're, they're posing afterward after AJ Styles retains the title and Omega has this really weird look on his face. And then when uh, Omega won the G1 last year, right? Yeah. He, uh, he made some comments about somebody, somebody asked him about Ibushi and then he like cut them right off and like, as if he didn't want to talk about it or something like that. But yeah, I think this is a, this is a really slow and subtle build so that it, it does, it doesn't hurt that story. I think as much to, to, to stretch it out even longer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and I, I think I they're doing the right thing. When, when I think you, they're, yeah, I, mean, I can see where you have the, the short term opportunity of, can, do we do Jericho now or do do Ibushi now? Obviously Jericho now has a lot of value to it and you can still get a lot of value out of Ibushi and Omega later. Well, especially because you're doing Jericho in November build to January, which I think is key is that that 60 day build is really smart versus we've seen, you know, things advertised and never come to, to fruition. All the stuff when Brock Lesnar was going back over there years ago, you know, there's lots of things that they were trying to do with him in China and other people who would come in and and that would kind of fall to pieces over time. So there have been examples where, you know, we've advertised foreigners and it just never panned out. So I, I can't say until, you know, he shows up there at the Tokyo Dome, it's a done deal. But I don't think we're in that era anymore. And at the same time, I think it's great to get this kind of excitement going now and build continue to build the idea, say, how can you watch this? How can you get this? What what's happening here and get wrestling fans excited. So real smart stuff. And I would not be surprised if Jericho also does a rumble run in. Um, you know, just the way he is that I, I and the way WWE is, I would not be surprised if he goes straight from New Japan back to WWE at the Rumble to, you know, just kind of keep capitalizing on that popularity and that excitement. Yeah, I, I would think he would be interested in doing that. But would, would WWE have any allergy to him because of this? Like, do they want to do business with him again right they away? Want what they, they want what they can't have. And so, and at the same time, you know, just with all the weird things that are going on with Daniel Bryan and other people who want to go back to New Japan, uh, I think WWE wants to kind of keep these guys close to the vest, right? And so, uh, might might in some way keep the relationship a little bit closer to them than rather than saying, hey, other WWE guys are going to New Japan right now. I mean, Neville's the big question mark to me is, are we going to see Neville at, at Russell Kingdom? And in fact, that that kind of segues because there was this this masked character switchblade, right? And people were wondering, who is this going to be? Yeah, there's been and, a number uh, of vignettes and on New Japan shows leading up to this. And uh, it was finally revealed who the switchblade is, which is Jay White returning from his excursion in Ring of Honor and throughout Indies in North America. So he and he so and Tanahashi, the UK and the UK. So Tanahashi d- defended the title against Ibushi, beat him, and uh, he started to do his air guitar. And then afterwards, Switchblade video played. And there's actually like a he's surrounded. He's like in this room, surrounded by papers in the video. And uh, there's actually like a one of these papers says Jackie Collins, who's like a a romance novelist. But but anyway, he came out and challenged Tanahashi and laid him out. And so that's happening for the IC title apparently at, you- at Wrestle Kingdom. 
do you think Switchblade was always the plan, or do you think they were trying to get something like a Neville, and you know it no. was just kind of a, a placeholder? No, I, th- I think Ghetto makes long-term plans far out in advance, and I and I think before they ever aired the first Switchblade vignette, they had decided that it's going to be Jay White. That's that's my impression. They they do this a lot, right? Where they take a guy, they send him on a foreign excursion, and when he comes back, he is able to be either repackaged or elevated from where he came came from right yeah, this is kind of exactly what they did with Hiromo Tanahashi, or Takahashi uh, yeah. where he was on excursion for a much longer time than Jay White was but they did the, this time bomb thing. Kamatachi right it was his other name yeah and in, in CML yeah and yeah they, that he he was ripping it up with the Dragon Lee and CMLL Taking and then he insane bumps yeah went to Ring of Honor a little bit and then kind of came back to New Japan and hasn't quite been at the uh, 11 out of 10 that he was at in Mexico in terms of his dangerousness, but he's still been uh, flying everywhere. Yeah, and he's, he's yeah. merging as a star. He's getting really all right. So they did an angle on the show as well to set up a four-way between Osprey, Skrull, Kushida, and Hiromu. And uh, he, I, he, it, he did this promo in, in Japanese, so I don't know what he's saying, but he had like a, uh, it looked like a, a cage hockey mask on, and he had a, you know, he did some promo with a lot of uh, inflection so what i read was that he put on a helmet and gloves so that he was ready to fight if it came to it or something like that yeah but um yeah that's i I think the switchblade thing is interesting i mean uh jay white is a good example of a guy that they have groomed you know for a long time here i think he he started in um they said he, he trained a little bit with the UK kid, but then very quickly he went he met uh he met Finn Balor, Prince Devitt, and then he decided he was gonna go to the New Japan Dojo. And then he spent a long time at the dojo and uh worked a lot with uh David Finley Jr. and some other people. And i I think it's really interesting to see them, you know, try and elevate somebody else there, um, especially a a non Japanese guy, um, putting him in into a top place. He's he's of course from New Zealand. Yeah, and, I, and I think uh, they perceive him, even though he's not Japanese, kind of as one of their own because he came through the dojo in, in a way that they're, they're maybe not perceiving Ibushi or the way that they didn't perceive Shibata when he came back because he had a break from the company. And and he will be a, a the sort of guy that might have a little bit more marquee value if New Japan pushes him when he comes back to America, that they'll treat him a little bit more like, you know, a New Japan star, but somebody who can also speak English. Yeah. And um, for their, you know, U.S. excursion stuff, I think it's important to kind of find that middle ground of people that can both speak English and, but also have some New Japan credibility to them. Because we, as we know, what the people really want to see in the U.S. is the New Japan presentation and the New Japan stars. And, you know, the fact that Jay White has been in Ring of Honor for a while here, it's not like he was the top, top guy at Ring of Honor. He was just, you know, kind of mid-card, low-card guy. And so I'm hoping this will reformat him a little bit more and and kind of push him up so that by the time he comes back to America the next time around, he's going to seem like a big deal, almost in the same way Juice Robinson has been reformed. Yeah. Um, And he has a lot of size, too. Like, he he did this angle with Tanahashi, and he stood nose-to-nose with him in the ring, and he's a little taller than Tanahashi. So he's definitely Yeah, I looked it up. They said 6'1", 200 pounds. So he he is technically a junior. But but he doesn't look that way when you compare him because he's he's got a lot of bulk to him. He's kind of like Neville, you know, one of these guys that has a lot of bulk to him where depending on who you put him in the ring with, he can look like a heavyweight or junior heavyweight. 
Um, so I'm, I'm talking a little bit about the U.S. Was there some news about new U.S. states? Yeah, on March 25th, they're going to go to a, another venue in L.A. Uh, for an event called Evolved Strong Style. So it looks like just one event. It's a, it's another venue that's on the the same campus as where they were last time. Why would you come for one day? I don't know. <laughs> they gotta be. They gotta announce more dates. They gotta. I mean, the only way you could come for one day is then if you're going to do two days where you're doing Ring of Honor shows on the other coast, right? Maybe. I mean, this, remember, this is kind of close to WrestleMania time too. I don't know how that factors in. And their their tour probably starts soon after that. I'll, I'll look this up though. Um, yeah, March, well, March 25th, WrestleMania say- is going to be. When is WrestleMania? April. April eighth. It's not the first, right? Yeah, it's April eighth. Um, but it, keep in mind that I thought New Japan was on a tour in Japan over WrestleMania weekend, and that was the whole thing where like Kenny Omega is coming in for WrestleMania weekend, which means he's not going to be on that New Japan tour that's happening that same week. Right, and it's one of those where it, they would. They would gross a lot more money being in the U.S. and doing the WrestleMania. I don't know whether they would net a lot more money because, of course, it's expensive to get everybody over here, the working visas, book the buildings and all that. But they could definitely get some huge crowds if they were here for WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, they only have up to February 10th on their website for tickets. It's also been suggested to me that, oh, New Japan doesn't want to run on WrestleMania weekend because they don't want to upset WWE and face some retaliation. I think so. I think there's something to the idea of saying it's really hard to get a building and to get it done there. And you have to jump through a gazillion hoops. And we've seen, you know, things like the visa problems that Dragon Gate has run into and all these other things where the scrutiny, you could say, has gone way up over that time frame where, you know, normally guys can come in and wrestle and doesn't seem to be a big problem. But WrestleMania weekend, it's not always the easiest thing. And I do think new... um, WWE would clamp down in a way that they don't normally try to clamp down uh, against even, you know, what they're doing in Long Beach last year. So it it would matter to them for sure. And um, I think New Japan might have learned not to poke that bear as much. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago that the owner of uh, New Japan or the president of New Japan, him moving into a new role might mean that perhaps some of this bluster that they've had about being so competitive with WWE might die down a little bit. You're talking about uh, Takaki Kidani, who is the, uh, I'm not sure, his chairman, but he had an official role with uh, New Japan, but has moved to the board of directors. Well, it's not New Japan, but he was, his role with Bushi Road uh, has changed or has ended, and now he's just on the board of directors of Bushi Road. But it's not clear what that means for New Japan, at least to me yet. Yeah, it says. Yeah, it's not very clear. It just says he would be stepping down as the company's representative director on October 20th and joining their board of directors. So uh, he's two weeks into his new new position here, and uh, we wish him well. But, I mean, so, I, don't, I don't see that the vision has changed that much just based on what we just talked about. They're, they're getting Chris, Chris Jericho onto Wrestle Kingdom. They're bringing Jay White back in a big match with Tanahashi. They yeah, but those are those are Japan angles. I'm I'm just saying I I don't are see those it Japan as angles like Jericho versus Omega. That's a worldwide angle. It is, but I would say it's an angle where you're 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 pushing for a show that's in Japan. If if they were pushing this promotion to be happening in the U.S. and, and a Jericho selling, versus and, and we haven't talked about it yet, they're selling travel packages and they sold tickets uh, with an English web page. 
Which is brilliant. Like we, we talked about it with Evan. We've been saying for a while that they have an underserved fan base that is interested in their product but finds the Japanese culture and language difficult to maneuver through. And it's up to them to find better ways to make it accessible to people. And they're not on all major OTT platforms such as Roku yeah. and game yeah. consoles. Yeah, I, I just meant in terms of I think there's a big difference between how can we make our Japanese-based business as strong as it is which is how can we make Wrestle Kingdom 12 as big as possible? How can we make, um, you know, how can we sell more New Japan World subs? How can we, uh, you know, make new stars in our company? Versus when we come to America, are we going to be taking it? Are we going to are we going to go right up to the biggest dog and punch him in the nose on the day of their biggest event? Which is more what actually running over WrestleMania weekend can translate into. And I don't think they're at that point. And I think Kadani was the sort of person who would talk like that in some of these interviews. And with him kind of going back, I wouldn't be surprised if cooler heads prevail. Yeah. I, I think the size of the venue would have some effect too. Like if they booked a venue that they really wanted to sell 10, 15,000 tickets at like that, I think that would have a, a more likely chance of raising WWE's ire versus if they just booked a 2000 C arena or something like that. And it's so hard to book arenas WrestleMania weekend because WWE basically puts out kind of a, a, a squash order to everybody in the nearby area to kind of say, don't rent out. Don't do this. You know, city of New Orleans, you you gave us the right to do WrestleMania weekend. Don't help anybody else promote against us. Um, but but there's more and more shows every year regardless. So There are, but people because people learn that they have to book their arenas as early as possible. Yeah. And if you noticed, and I heard about this before, where you know some of these shows, they end up running an hour away from WrestleMania venues. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you, and then when you start factoring in traffic, it can be an hour and a half or two hours. And it's getting to the point where it's tough for people to attend both sets of events. Yeah, at the I, same I do time. hear comments from people, I don't know if it was last year or, or this year or both, about how – the WWN events, the Evolve events are like so far away or 45 minutes away or something like that away from the stadium that where WrestleMania is going to happen. Yeah. And and the last part being that if, if New Japan is going to do a really big event and it's going to be really awesome, they can book a pretty big venue and promoting it on their own, they'll probably do very well. Now, is there some advantage to being close to WrestleMania weekend? Sure. But I think the dilution that's happened so far is so big that it might be enough to dissipate the added attendance. And what I mean by that is that I, I don't know if they could, A, find another 10,000-seat arena that's within the closest of WrestleMania to actually capitalize on that large group of people coming to town. And, B, you are still fighting with all these other promotions, all these other events, all these other people. I mean, what if the Business Partner Summit was at the same time? Which one would I go to? <laughs> well, I think I think the other events matter less because I think New Japan is clearly the number two promotion uh, in reality and in the perception of wrestling fans. Yeah, so I, yeah. So there's that advantage. There is, but I'm just saying sometimes it's like, why fight with every other person? I mean, you could argue it's Christmas mentality where, you know, everyone's going to be doing a lot of shopping for Christmas. So you do want to make sure your product's on the shelf and it's better not to wait till January and put it on the shelf because then you've lost that opportunity. But at the same time, sometimes you are just fighting with everybody else. And then maybe it's like a movie release date where you say, you know what? I don't need to fight Star Wars. I can just find a different time of the year to make my thing a big deal. And then I'm not fighting up against Star Wars weekend. That's that's my analogies. Um, the ticket prices uh, going from forty five to one hundred and twenty dollars. That sounds like nothing, and that can't be the entire stadium, right? I would imagine that's just the seats that are available that they're putting up for sale. Um, 
because you know I'm sure the the much higher price tickets already all sold out. Same way that you know for WrestleMania, people are always like, I want to sit you know floor WrestleMania, and for the most part, you can't get those you know ringside seats. Period. You either have to pay the top travel package deal that WWE puts out, or you have to you know really be in the kind of exclusive whatever to buy it. Yeah, I'm looking to see if we know anything about what the advances. But uh, I'm, I'm with, bad. With, I mean, and then another thing I heard was that with um, these tickets that they put on sale directed at English-speaking fans, was that maybe they only put out a limited number of them at first, and then then they I remember reading this like they sold out, but it's the Tokyo Dome. Like, didn't obviously the Tokyo Dome didn't sell out. I don't know if they were trying to create some perception of scarcity to try to build up buzz for their ticket sales among their English-speaking fans or what. Well, did you look at the travel company? Because it wasn't even really New Japan that was offering these packages, right? It was their own travel companies that were offering these packages. Is, is that what this ib.eplus.jp is? Yeah. So I think they were their own you know, kind of uh, travel companies that were offering it. And so it's even possible that they just said to these travel companies, look, you can sell 500 of these packages. Here are the tickets that you can buy in bulk. And then they bought those tickets and they're reselling those tickets basically. And then that's why they're not buying the tickets and selling them themselves. They are bought, they're reselling the tickets that they've already bought is my point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're, they're also probably tying those tickets to the number of rooms, you know, that they're, they're not just selling tickets. They're selling, you know, a whole travel package. And so there's no sense of trying to offer 10,000 tickets because they only have 300 rooms. Right. And do we so, know how much the travel packages cost? Um, I, I thought I priced it actually in one of our earlier docs, um, from a couple of weeks ago when I looked at it, um, I, I made some notes where it, it was reasonable. It was only a couple hundred dollars a night for, for, um, a hotel though. The ones I saw didn't even include any, um, they didn't even include any, uh, airplane tickets, uh, as part of it. You know, you'd have to book your own. I, uh, I feel like you could make a, a nice small business out of like, being a Japanese pro wrestling tour guide for super fans and like set them up with the travel and everything and then sort of be their guide to like get you to Korakuen Hall or get you to this event or that event. So there was a guy named, I think, George Mayfield. Yeah, um, and so is. I met him once. Yeah. So George, uh, throughout the, I think even late eighties to the early nineties to the two thousands would organize these Japanese pro wrestling fan tours and famously Dave Meltzer went on them several times and then um, George would sometimes, you know, I think even on one of the tours they took, um, they went the, the time they were doing like the Superdome um, show, which all the different companies were participating in. The weekly and wrestling they, dome show in 95, right? Yeah. And so I think some of the footage from that show is kind of a handheld of the big screen that was showing kind of what was happening because that was not a show that was necessarily commercially released at the time. Right. Because there's so many promotions all in one yeah. show. But there's a handheld I've seen of that where um, I, I think it came from maybe even the guys that were on that tour <laughs> um, with Mayfield and like taking a video of the big screen showing the thing. And so I remember like the FMW match in that one with the is either the wing or the FMW match and like Cactus Jack is in and people like that. So it's a you know, there, there have been people who have done that for sure. And I think there is a, a good business for it. I think it's a. It's a hard business to to make it a full time gig, you know. 
I, I think there's only a small amount of margin in it. So there's got to be a lot of love involved. But it's really interesting to me that they're finally kind of catching on to the fact that, you know, WWE found that pretty much the price and elasticity at the top end is incredibly high. Um, so you can you can raise prices a bunch and if people will pay for the convenience of everything being packaged together. And I, I still don't think what they're offering here is everything packaged together. You know, they're they're kind of offering we'll get you a hotel room, we'll get you a ticket, but they're not really offering the like one hundred percent, you know, from A to Z, um, we'll take you to where you need to be and we'll give you tours of pro wrestling shops and we'll let you go meet some wrestlers and this and that. So I, I think there was some very small amount of like a meet and greet that might be happening with this, but uh it, it's a good first step and I think they're doing some of the right stuff and I'll be very curious to hear kind of, you know, the background on people. And like they said, having, having a big American star participate is a difference maker. You know, if you had Shawn Michaels was going to referee an event, that would still probably be a difference maker. So, which was is something a, FMW a also for FMW. <laughs> Uh, not really, but well, a little bit, a little but, bit. But actually, I mean, it was a big, Tokyo it was pop. a very big match for them. Yeah, it was so, a big match for them. Yeah. But that was also in the time when WWE was just trying to make money by loaning out their stars. I mean, they put Ken Shamrock and, um, uh, I think it was Vader, in a a shoot fight. Is that or was it Severn? And they did a fight where like then they broke a bunch of ribs and they got really hurt. And they Someone went can over. correct us. It's there's this, the story is they what, the, what was it. I thought it was Vader and Ken Shamrock. I think they wanted one but got the other. I think they wanted to sign Ken Shamrock, but that's when WF signed him. I'm talking about New Japan. FMW, Vader versus Ken Shamrock. Yeah. That that, that match happened. Yeah, it did. Okay. Yep. Yep. And they ended up, like, really hurting themselves. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, yeah. It was not a... Was it 98? um, Let's see here. Let me see see if the data's on this thing. Uh, 97. 97. Yeah. It was right in the middle of, of basically when Shamrock was in WWF. And so it was this weird thing where like basically they just dumped a bunch of money to get, you know, like uh, to get him to come over to get uh, Ken Shamrock and Vader. And yeah, they, they just were dumping money at the time. Okay, the story that I'm thinking of, they, they wanted, I think they wanted Ken Shamrock to wrestle Shinny Hashimoto at some point, probably in 97, and that's where, like, oh, they couldn't get him or whatever, so that's where Nail Ogawa comes in, and that legendary feud between Hashimoto and Ogawa starts, I think. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. So, this Power Struggle event in uh, Osaka, it did do very well, though, right? It, it sold out in, in advance? I believe so. It sold out in advance. I heard that, like, a week ago. So this kind of brings up a, an unrelated but related point to me, which was um, a lot of people have talked about how this has been the year that uh, All Japan has seen the most, um, on a percentage basis, the most improvement of their attendance, right? Where All Japan improved their attendance year over year by like 40%. I believe so, yeah. But it's still a really low number, right? Like yeah. we're talking about going it's from It's nowhere like, near what All Japan was in the 80s or 90s. And it's not even close to what New Japan is doing now, right? Because if you – because even if you improve from 800 people a show to 1,100 people a show, that's that's a 40% improvement. But that's only you know 1,100 people a show. That's not a, a killer, killer number. Um, and I remember I was actually – Attendance in Osaka this morning, 5,480. For New Japan, yeah. Right. Uh, 
I, I, I was just talking the All Japan thing because I, I looked at the um, observer results, the average attendance listed on the house shows that, you know, observer mentioned. And one thing that was really interesting to me was it was completely flat for All Japan for the last uh, two years. It was not showing that it was going up. And I think this is just the result of kind of selectivity in what gets reported in the observer versus looking at the complete compendium of results. Um, for all of these companies, and then also looking at their um, the venue that they're in year over year. Uh, but it was just really interesting to me that like I would not have come up with that conclusion, which I, I, I do believe and I, I agree with that is probably happening with All Japan. But just by looking at the observer results, and it just made me think sometimes about certain companies that can go on a tear and get no recognition whatsoever. So like DDT, you know how many DDT results have been reported in the observer over the last like 10 years? Probably just a few for their biggest shows. Handful. It's barely a handful. Like Chikara and DDT probably get about the same amount of coverage. Right. Sometimes DDT is covered in the like the actual section by itself in uh, other Japan more than it's you know listed in the results section. But it, it just kind of strikes me that DDT for a company that runs so many shows and Big Japan is even farther behind them. And Big Japan is also a, a company that runs tons and tons of shows. Uh, Dragon Gate is – Gets some reporting, but doesn't necessarily get a lot of matches watched. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, that's really good stuff. But then, you know, you, you don't really ever get a sense that Dave himself is ever actually watching Dragon Gate all that much. No, I think he watches select matches that people recommend to him, but I don't think he watches it very often. Yeah. And then same with Stardom. It's hard to tell, you know, when somebody from Stardom is coming to WWE, Dave will give you the impression he's been watching them for years and years and paying close attention to them. But uh, I, I'm always a little dubious of that. Yeah. Um, Compared to the the six hours of, of UFC he has time for the prelims on uh, this and that, it sometimes can drive me a little nuts about you know reporting in deep on on a UFC prelim show and then be like, well, what about all these major promotions in other parts of the world that you could be reporting on RevPro and right. or the other MMA section in the Observer? Like, why? Yeah, but you know that's that's back to the the oldest gripe in the book about the is it a uh, is it the Wrestling Observer, the the Mixed Martial Arts Observer, or the, the short-lived uh, Dave Meltzer Obsession Observer? Yeah, and, and I can understand that you look at Japanese wrestling history, and MMA and pro wrestling are very intertwined, but uh, we make a far uh, more stark distinction in the U.S. Yeah, so I, I don't didn't mean to really get off on that. I was just something I wanted to, to say that I, I thought it was interesting that I looked, I, I went through and I, I processed the last 10 years of results really quickly. Um, the other day, I think I even sent you an email saying, um, here's some data. I'm doing nothing with this right now. <laughs> yes, I um, that. But, but in one section, I looked at just what's the last three years, what's the average attendance? And I was kind of shocked to see that, you know, despite the story of all Japan attendance exploding, it's not reflected in the data that was captured in the Observer, which says to me either big events, which are sometimes not captured in the results section, but rather captured in their own section, um, which would not be part of this. Or late-breaking attendance, or it's the spot shows that they just leave out the attendance when their first results are submitted, and it's where that's where you're seeing kind of some of the incremental coming from. Yeah. So I, I, I would like to dig into that a little bit more before I understand it, but I was just really surprised because I really thought, hey, this will reflect this trend I'm seeing overall, and then it didn't. And so it's, it's always interesting to me when you can have a conclusion and look at it from two different data sets and get very different answers. Right, and so I've pasted into the, into the doc a uh, image that Evan Deadly since W tweeted, which shows uh, month to month. Well, it shows a, com a comparison between 2016 and 2017, looking at 
all 12 months and comparing it to the, the that month in the same uh, in, the, in this the same month in the year prior. So like in January, average attendance for all Japan was about 3,300 and it's just about doubled. for Not average, average, total, total attendance. What am I saying here? Total attendance has, is nearly yes. doubled. Be, and, and, but average attendance is down. I don't know. What are we looking at here? Yeah, see, this says to me that average attendance is flat, though it does show me that in yeah. a month like August, average attendance in August of 2016 was 520. Average attendance in August of 2017 was 1,156. Um, the difference here, though, is the number of shows they're running. You can see that they ran 90 shows year to date through August this year, where they only ran 95 shows, period, last year. So part of this is the fact that they're going to be up for attendance for the year in aggregate because they're running more shows. Part of it is one of their best months of the year, November, where last year they averaged 1,200 people. We haven't even hit that number yet. So if you were to X out October, November, and December from that average number for 2016, I think it would drop them from 578 down to you know 500 or 450 or something because they had three strong months, or at least two of, three, two of the three months that are not included for 2017 were really strong months last year. So... Um, and this is a tweet that Evan made in September, about the middle of September. So this is just going, this is just showing, I guess, up to that moment in September. And I, I guess the the larger story here, right, is that total attendance for 2017, just through the middle of September, had already surpassed the total attendance for 2016, the entire year, with about 55,000 attendees. This is all Japan Pro Wrestling, too, by the way. Yeah, I think um, I think my attendance. My year-to-date number, if I if I'm doing my math right, right now would be about 510 year-to-date for 2016. If I take out those three months that we don't have data for, and it's 610, so that's about a 20% improvement. So I, I can definitely see aggregate. Maybe they'll be up by say 40% for the year, and maybe per show is 20%, which is a big turnaround. I mean, those are great numbers for a company that's not slashing their prices, as far as I know they are. Um, but they're still a far cry away from where even New Japan is today. But it's kind of neat to see a company coming back from the ashes. And, um, of course, having such a, a good name and having some really good workers in it. You know, I would say they're they're getting back because they're doing good wrestling, not because, you know, um, they're getting some kind of weird even gimmick run. You know, not, this is not a Razor Ramon HG type thing or something where, you know, it's just a, a silly gimmick that happens to catch on. It's, it's a lot more than that. I, I wonder if we... I think we see New Japan's business improving, and I wonder if that's just a, it's just a case of, you know, the top promotion in Japan is doing really well, and that's raising the level of other promotions. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the rising rising, rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. I, I would say there's some of that. I, I do think, I do think companies have to kind of, um, you know do their deal their own hands i i do think that it's not as simple as that because these companies are we, we think of J japan very monolithically but in fact it's all these different regions you know some of them are on different islands even and so you know there there are people that have really specialized in one area of the country and and have very different business models so you know when you're talking about a, a Mishinoko pro or something yeah. it's very different in terms of what where they're targeting versus just the people that are in tokyo yeah i believe Michinoku literally means northeast right i think they perform in the northeast i don't know um i mean it's taka mishinoku so i always assumed it had something to do with with takas starting it with with susuke but um again we could use some we could use another japanese other wrestling expert here on the show um 
let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about the WWE releases that happened this past week. Um, yeah. They had some main level releases, some people that have actually been on the main roster for years and years, and some developmental releases. Walk us through who got canned. So most prominently, Emma, who had just been on a pay-per-view losing to Asuka. Summer Rae got released. Darren Young. There's talk that we're going to see Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson released. Uh, they had a really ridiculous comedy match on Raw where they were dressed up as, I don't know what, Jack Lanterns or whatever. Uh, there's talk that Carl Anderson had removed WWE references from his Twitter bio, but then... And some others said that, well, maybe he had never had WWE in his Twitter bio to begin with. Uh, a couple of developmental talents got re- released as well. Sawyer Fulton, who used to be Insanity, and everyone's favorite uh, Chinese WWE signee, Leo Gao, has been released. How sad. Yeah, to tell us a little bit about Leo Gao, because a lot of people weren't familiar with him, didn't remember him. Uh, why Why was he interesting? Oh, I don't, he's just kind of a social media phenomenon. I think uh, people like Sasha Banks uh, were doing some some tweeting about him or taking pictures with him or something like that. I don't know. He just seemed like a fun personality and, like, excited about WWE and about pro wrestling and uh, really ambitious. And he he seemed to speak some English, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, he tweeted in English and stuff. I saw he had it. Yeah, and and if you saw the video of him pretending to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's right. uh, He would talk. I remember him saying a few things in English at the time. Uh, But, yeah, I thought it was – Seeing him, it was funny because he was somebody that I was like, "Wow, he uh, he's got personality." <laughs> like, like yeah. sometimes we think of these Ting Bangs and the uh, Love Preet Singhs and or Preets and and some of these guys that they've hired from you know India and and China, and they're big guys, they're good athletes in what they came from, but they don't have a ton of charisma. You know, they're not very interesting. Well, he seemed to have some. Christmas this guy did yeah. exactly that's yeah. my point this but guy he didn't look like a bodybuilder or anything he looked like no. a, maybe a kind of soft uh pudgy guy but you know he looked like he had some personality and he, he, he really some... liked uh stone cold steve austin and in fact amazon who's your favorite professional wrestler How did you learn it was going to say that? Because I might have asked it last night. <laughs> Were you surprised to see this result? Yeah. It has an actual opinion. More, more than I can say about myself sometimes. Um, Emma, uh, Emma, Lena, I don't think there's going to be any trademark issues necessarily there. I think that's a big, big question that people want to know is like, okay, are, if these people work the indies, are they going to be able to use their, their, the names that they had in WWE or not? Emma has, a, gone, Emma has gone on, I think her Twitter has been changed to Tennille Dashwood, which is her real name. Yeah. So maybe so, she's not going to use the, the name Emma, even though it, I think you're going to tell us, right, that she could use it. It's just too general. It, WWE was never able to make a trademark on Emma or Emmalina because those are just too generic to basically prevent confusion in the marketplace to say, okay, no one else can use the name Emma. Um and in the past, they've also gotten really picky about, you know, whether it's a character name or whether it's a product name. And they've they've pushed back on a lot of people about, like, is Broken Matt even a legal trademark you could even get? Um, so I don't see any evidence that WWE ever really went that far with trying to register Emma. So they can't stop it by saying, OK, we can say you can't be Emma because we have the trademark. Now, they have prior use. 
the only time she used the name Emma was in WWE. So they do have that where they could say, look, you're capitalizing on something you created on our brand. You signed this contract that says we own all the rights to this character we created. It's not listed as prior IP that you take with you at the end of this transaction. So they could in some ways um, probably stop her from like say making a t-shirt or a, a, a other merchandise that said Emma on it because they could say you're trying to – you're trying to merchandise something that you created on ours. So I wouldn't say that it's completely in the open for her. It's more like it's mutually um, mutually agreed destruction where like neither of them can really make much with it. So I can see a good argument for her wanting to just move on and use her real name because that for sure they can't take from her. Um, I don't think she has any prior use against it, which really hurts her argument. Um, and then the last piece being um, it depends on how they advertise it. So like I say, if you do merchandising, that might be a little bit more WWE coming down on you versus if you say um, this is uh, former wrestling star Emma. They might allow that. Uh, former wrestling star Emma, a.k.a. or FKA or, or Tennille Dashwood, FKA Emma. I think they'd be fine with that. What they wouldn't be OK with is WWE star Emma comes to town because that implies that it's a WWE person who's coming. What about not, former WWE superstar? It gets funny on that one. I think that's one with the, they have pushed back on before on some people. And I think it really comes down to is it in Indy in the middle of Alabama or is it Ring of Honor? You know, it, it, they, it, it really depends on the size of the scope of who's going to see this. Well, and whether if it's Ring of Honor, you don't need that. No, but you I meant that uh, former WWE because the, the people that you're targeting for a Ring of Honor ticket already know who she is. Well, but so it's Northeast Wrestling, right? They're one of the most famous companies in the U.S. that does a lot of ex WWE talent, and they, they do big shows and they draw some of the biggest indie crowds of the year every year. Yeah, so they draw a couple thousand sometimes for their big shows, and they'll have everyone from Carlito to Ryback to whoever on their shows. So I could definitely see her popping up on one of those shows and how they decided to promote her on that show. will probably tell you a lot about what they've figured out as what is appropriate or inappropriate. And I, I can't say, you know, I think it really comes down to what does a lawyer want to write a strongly worded letter about? And the reality is they, they can't stop her from saying she is Emma in a promo. They can probably stop her from, merchandising the name Emma because they can say that that's prior use and they were the ones that kind of came up with that first and that she's trying to make money off that. But they might let her even merchandise it, but she could never trademark it. They could always oppose that trademark by saying they have prior use. I am not a lawyer. Um, so the lawyers that do listen to the show can correct me on that. And I think it always comes down to what they like to say. It depends. So it really would depend. I think she's smart to just get away from the Emma name and say, look, I'm a beautiful woman. I, I, a lot of people know my name already and I can just push the fact that I'm, I'm a wrestler and people are going to very quickly connect me with the, with the Emma character. Yeah, I think and, a year or two ago, she started a YouTube channel where she was doing recipes and things like that using her real name. Yeah. She, she was someone where at one point it even seemed like she might get a network show like doing cooking stuff. Um, where I think that was in some of the surveys there where, you know, they were talking about, you know, Big Show and his wife were talked about for doing a show like that as well. And I think it, this is an example of where WWE has finally come to terms with the fact that this kind of auxiliary network programming, while it's interesting, does not really drive a lot of subscriptions incrementally. 
I mean, if running two pay-per-views every month doesn't drive incremental subscriptions, unfortunately, the Emma Cooking Channel also will not drive incremental subscriptions. So I think some of that kind of goes by the wayside. And so it became more of a YouTube property. Um, and, and it's a little bit of that, you know, hey, she was linked with Zack Ryder for a while uh, um, uh, romantically, right? And who else has utilized YouTube quite extensively until they were kind of given the kibosh on um, what they could do? And, and how they could build a following that way. So Zach, Zach Ryder. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think there's something to that as well where, you know, maybe maybe she was getting some, uh, you know, essentially encouragement to say, hey, this is a good way of building your brand. And so you're not always going to be um, beholden to WWE for making you get over or not get over. So, uh, you know, best of luck to her. I hope, you know, she's a former Lance Storm trainee. Um, she seems like someone who cared enough to figure out how to get signed. And part of it was I should go and train with somebody who's really good at training people and also has connections to the company and is very likely to then say, hey, this is a really good looking young woman who has a lot of promise. And that helped her a lot. You yeah, know? I mean, I, I think she'll do well on the indies. Uh, I, I feel like you can tell or just sort of look at somebody's history and make a, a decent prediction about what they're going to do post WWE. Um, and I, and I think clues like that, okay, she trained at Lance Storm's school. Um, she had good matches in NXT. Uh, so I, she seems to have a passion for pro wrestling on a whole more than just WWE. So I think she'll have a good career in, on the Indies and if she works hard and, uh, there's, you know, there's a growing number of opportunities I feel in the Indies, especially when you include the UK, uh, and maybe even uh, Australia. That's what I was going to go at is say I, I, I can't say whether someone is going to be super successful or not. Um, you know, it does say that she started training when she was 13 in Australia for wrestling. So I will say, un, unlike a lot of these models turn wrestlers, she does seem like she is very um, passionate about wrestling. And so I think that will probably help her some in her ability to try and you know, convert over into the post wrestling mindset. Cause she did wrestle on the Indies just a little bit before she came to WWE. She started all the way back in 2012. So, I mean, if you think about it, that's five years that she was in the developmental system and then in the main event system. And that's a lot of wear and tear on your body. You know, that's a, that's really going to um, start knocking you down. And so there is some evidence that, you know, some of these wrestlers, um, Depending on what they're doing with themselves, you know, there's a lot of reasons why when you get out of the WWE grind, you might step away for a while is that maybe you put away a little bit of money. Maybe you want to see if modeling or something else might be more attractive to you and take a little less toll on your body. But we're hearing a lot about the resurgence of wrestling in Australia. And so I think this is a great opportunity for her to possibly, you know, be a big star in Australia and and maybe North America and Europe um, as well. And who knows, maybe she'll be in stardom. I, I said it before when we were talking about other women. I just worry that there's just not a huge circuit for women right now in wrestling. You know, when you look at the Mae Young Classic and you talk to a lot of these people, a lot of them are we're not even professional wrestlers full time. Um you know, I, I was just talking to somebody who knew one of the wrestlers in the NYC, and they were saying how that person, you know, I think had to take time off from work to go to this, you know, these events. And that's the challenge is that it's really tough to be a female independent wrestler that is full time. Do you think similar could be said about participants in Cruiserweight Classic? Um, some. 
I mean, you know, if you're Grand Metal League, you're in one bucket. And if you're Princess Sukai, you know, you're in a different bucket. And if you're, you know, some of these other women from America, you're in a third bucket. So it's always a mixed bag. It's always a mixed bag. I just think that there's less places that you can go to make it a full-time gig um, just because there's less promotions that have built themselves up to have female wrestling yeah, so that I, you I always have an opponent. There's a lot of indies that rarely have a women's match, but – the prospect of being able to book her, I think, sort of supersedes that that deficit, I guess, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, I think she's valuable for meet and greets for a while here, and that's what helps her bookability a lot. Is the the take a picture with Emma is worth a lot more I in some ways than even if, see her wrestle. Yeah, I think especially if she starts to get buzz and get a reputation of somebody who's having really good matches on the indies, I think that makes I don't know her her value and her, her lasting power even even greater. Yep. So we'll just have to see where she wants to do and what's her what shape her body's in. Um, yeah. I think the the question people might have is why did she get released? Um, my honest to god thought is that it was probably coming up for her about you know three year period of her renewals, and they just decided they didn't want to renew her again. And I, I don't think it was a you know. But this wasn't a case of her contract expiring. No, I think it was sort of I, I wouldn't say contract expiring as much as it might be um maybe, renewable. Maybe the contract is, is expiring soon, but let's just end it yes. early. Exactly. That's my that's my take on it is I don't think it's any kind of a I don't think it's a malicious thing. I don't think it's a necessarily a cost cutting measure. I think it's a little bit of a cost cutting measure because I think WWE has come to the recognition that they cannot continue to hoard talent and do nothing with them forever. Um, but, and so they, they're just reached that point and then they look know. at their, their, their OEB is going up every year. So I don't know, maybe they can, I don't know, but their net profit, their actual profit measure is lower than it's been in years, even before the pay-per-views, you know, it depends on whether they use a, a adjusted non-gap measure or whether they use their special gap measure and they create. I guess that's another story. I could I could ask you a question about that. We might go on for twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, let's let's talk to the other people. Darren Young. Yeah. Um, Darren Young is a guy that is amazing. When you think about how long he's been in the system, he started in like, um, God, what I, year was it? I think you showed that he was having dark matches in like oh oh five oh six. Yeah, yeah. Like the guy when he was back uh, as you know Fredericks of Hollywood or, or Fred Rossiter or something. I think was his name Rosser. Yeah, um, he started doing matches way for WWE dark matches, mind you, way back in um, the late two thousand. I mean the mid two thousands. Even let me just pull it up here on Cage Match. This was a a tweet I had done and I should have uh, embedded it in our our doc here. But um, let's see here. Go back to page seven. He. Yeah, he's doing. Um, he's doing. <laughs> he did a uh, 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 jobs for the Dicks, the Heartthrobs, and Charlie Haas and Hardcore Holly, back in uh, 05 and 06 on Velocity. Oh. Um, he actually worked um, Christian York back then. <laughs> a lot of names here: uh, Charlie Haas, Val Venus, uh, and then that's back in 2005, 2006. By 2010, he's signed. He's in NXT and he's working NXT a lot. And even though he's leaving now, he is only. 34 now so you got to figure um if he was doing this more than 10 years ago he was you know 24 23 years old and he was already working with wwe which is a little bit like zach Ryder ended up being um one of these guys where you know if you're to say when do guys kind of hit their stride a lot of guys hit their stride in 35 36 37 not necessarily their um peak physical years but usually their peak performance years tends to come around that time i, I think um, what hurts a guy like darren young is that he's 
always been a low card guy and and having been a low card guy for that long with with no r- real uh, progression i think that kind of labels you as a guy who you, you don't really take seriously Yep, yep. And I mean, Darren Young, of course, made a little bit of buzz uh, back in 2003. It was August of 2003 when he did the uh, the TMZ thing where they just kind of randomly ask him about somebody else who had come out and he goes, well, you know, I'm gay. And it was one of these ridiculously scripted type, uh, you know, TMZ moments where it's like, why would you go up to to Darren Young and ask him about this unless you basically already had an agreement in place that this was the way you were breaking this news. Um, And then when that happened, I think a lot of people said there's no way WWE is going to cut him for a couple years here, right? Because you don't want to be the company that makes a big deal about, hey, we have an openly gay wrestler and we're totally cool with it. And then immediately you you fire them. So for two or three years, I kind of assumed – that no matter what happens, unless Darren Young gets suspended for drugs or for some other thing, he's he's got a job. And he got hurt and took a lot of time to, you know, kind of come back from that. They did a Bob Backlund angle with him for a while. Um, but he never, you know, never got enormous at that time. And, uh, you know, three years later, they let him go. And to be honest, for a guy that's been with the company since 2010, seven years – that's about the cycle, you know, they give to a lot of guys. It's it's increased in recent years, but it's usually these extremes like Kane and Big Show or Mark Henry that pull those averages up uh, versus the more normal cycle of six, seven years or even less than that when you look at a Heidenreich or a, um, you know, some of these other guys that have, have come through the system. So I, I think Darren Young, if anything, might have stayed longer than you would have predicted on paper. If you had just looked at him from the very beginning. And then, of course, there's people like David Otunga who have moved into other positions and stayed with the company quite as long as well. So it's not to say that, you know, Darren Young had absolutely no momentum. I just never heard about him in any other capacities, really, that they were um, using him for. Yeah, And prospects for him as a wrestler going forward, I think, are pretty low. I think he's probably going to see what other entertainment or maybe, who knows, maybe even public speaking opportunities he can get involved in. Um, I disagree. Oh, yeah? I disagree because he had a he had a passion for wrestling before he came in. He was an indie wrestler for years and years, um, you know, beforehand. And so I, I just see a guy like that versus, say, a, um, you know, compare him to like a Jack Swagger or someone who ba- basically only ever lived and breathed in the WWE system. Mm-hmm. I, I just see someone like Darren Young. He seems like the kind of guy that would try and make a – living now the challenge is i don't think he has a great i don't think he has a bad rep i just don't think he has a great rep as a worker no he and has so, a lack of a rep like yeah if you advertise me a match between darren darren young and somebody like why before you start to build it up do i want to see that on its face and so that's going to be a challenge for him but you know we've seen guys come back i would argue that you know there have been you know the juice robinsons and things of the world where they just didn't seem that interesting in their old gimmick and you put them in a different environment and they showed that they could work. And even the Trent Berettas of the world, you know, Trent was never a guy that I thought very highly of in WWE. And, you know, he he made it a goal for himself to set out at PWG in Japan and other places that he was going to stick out and be a be a winner. Now, Trent, um, I think a lot of this comes down to in the end that uh, your click that you run with can have a big impact on your ability to move ahead. Right. So. For Darren, it will be interesting to see. He clearly at some point, you know, WWE and them cultivated this TMZ thing. And if you look up TMZ, you'll actually see a couple Darren Young articles. 
So I would be curious if he's the sort of guy that figures out how to get more media attention as things go on here. But on the flip side, like you say, I don't see him as somebody who's been running in these cliques where, you know, the, it's like the young bucks are going to add Darren Young to being the elite tomorrow. Summer Rae? Uh, Summer Rae, she's interesting because I did not um, – I, I expected her to go for a while because I heard rumors a long time ago that she was frustrated. The fact that WWE didn't want to bring her back and that she herself had maybe even sought legal help to try to get out of her contract. Oh, yeah. So I had expected this for a while that at some point Summer Rae would get out. Um, if anything, my biggest fear if I was WWE is that Emma – Darren Young, Summer Rae, they are people that are right in that sweet spot, more Darren Young and Summer Rae, that are in that sweet spot where you wonder whether they could ask for CTE uh, to join the CTE lawsuit because they've been with the company long enough, including some guy like Darren Young who's been with the company almost since, you know, they, they always say it has to be like post-2008. Well, these are guys that worked for them post-2008. Um, technically, I'm sure the contracts they have would try to prevent them from ever joining a, a lawsuit like that. But at the same point, you know, I don't think that would stop some of these lawyers from trying to add them anyways to see what would happen. By some uh, of these lawyers, you mean Constantine Kairos, right? Well, or somebody else who might take over in his his wake. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if the CTE thing is dead after Kairos goes away. I think that there's enough of a – There's still a viable legal opportunity there regardless. Yeah, I think there's a germ it. of something there that, you know, a, a very competent lawyer could maybe put something together depending on how they solicited who got in the the queue, which is a whole other conversation about the the, uh, the royalties conversation we can go into at the end. Um so I just wondered about something like that where some of these people in my mind, if you're looking for a plaintiff that was recently with the company that could make claims against you, some of these people might might fill that niche very well. So you want to make sure that they're leaving on the right terms. So I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to use the name Darren Young. I don't think they're going to be able to use the name Summer Rae because both of those have been registered by um, trademarks by WWE and WWE has those as active trademarks. So the Summer Rae trademark started all the way back in October 2013. It was registered by May 2016. The Darren Young trademark started in August 2010. They just renewed it in September 2017 for like that seven-year renewal. So they, they are very good on both those trademarks. So for the time being, um, I do not expect to see either of those people using their names. Summer Rae is not a person that I expect to see on the indies working as an indie wrestler. I, I could see her doing some meet and greets, you know, while the money's good at a couple of these conventions. Um, and then that drying up and, you know, her going back to modeling. And that kind of seems like the direction she's trying to go with her Instagram anyways. Yeah, I think so. We could see her. I'm, she'll probably, this is probably not the last, I think we've not seen the last Summer Rae match, but that I don't think her career going forward is going to be primarily as a pro wrestler. Oh, I don't even know if we'll see another Summer Rae match. I, I think yeah. we'll see her signing autographs, but I don't, maybe valeting people, you know, on a, on an event, I can see her being on the side. I just don't know if we see her actually wrestling. Okay. Um, Gals and Anderson, as we mentioned, I think they're currently in Europe touring for WWE. So they're still with the company, apparently. I don't um, buy it. I don't buy that they're going away. Okay. And Sawyer so Fulton, I, the note that he posted on Twitter gives me the impression that he's going to really make a go of it outside WWE. Uh, Leo Gao, I don't know. Is he going to go back to, to China? I don't know enough about him to know what his mentality would be. Yeah, and again, I think this gets down to something we've talked about before, which is working visas, where it matters who sponsored that working visa and what happens when you leave and what kind of visa you came in on. And so for some of these people, they might have to go 
you know, unless they have an ability to say, you know, it might be something that says you have 180 days to get a new sponsor or something like that. So, um, for Leo Gao, you know, I think if I was, uh, IGF, I'd buy, I'd, 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 uh, hook them up. Right. You know, if I was a no, a no me genome foot federation or something, that, that might be fun, you know, so I could see, I could see him bouncing around again because sometimes some of these companies have figured out that you know a big chinese star there there's got to be something there whether or not that's right or not i can't say but they they kind of believe that hey if i have that chinese star maybe i can get that chinese audience and it's a big audience to grab so you know we've mm-hmm. seen people do it uh we'll say they have about 90 days from now you know so it, but what early, if as you said what if what if emma's contract was going to expire in less than 90 days um so the way I read the contracts, I went through and I was looking at Stephanie McMahon's contract and maybe I'll have to reread what it says. But what I believe it says when you get the 90 day is basically it says we will pay your downside for 90 days after we terminate this agreement. And even if you've earned more than, say, your downside for the year, they're going to pay you the 90 day prorated version of your downside. So essentially they're going to pay you if you think about 90 days, that's three months. They're going to pay you about a quarter of your annual salary to just sit there. Do you have the option to waive that? I think so. But, you know, for a lot of people, if you're talking about anywhere from $25,000 to, you know, someone like Darren who's been around for a while, probably much more, uh, you know, $50,000, let us say, that's a lot of money to just say, hey, you got three months to get your bookings in order and for you to heal up at home and train and do everything else. And I think most people are willing to take it, especially because they might also be getting WWE 2K money and other stuff coming in you know royalties fees yeah so I, I can see a lot of people just saying it's much more in my interest just to push my bookings out a couple months train rest up and is it really going to make a big difference you know if someone's going to pay me ten thousand dollars sure but i doubt any of these people are commanding ten thousand dollars on the indies you know we're talking you know one thousand fifteen hundred uh tight well so, so what do you think that that 90 collecting collecting the downside for 90 days is worth you said like me $25,000 or something? Well, yeah, I'm saying it it's, it's 25% of their downside guarantee. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying if you're on the main roster, I'm assuming you have a downside guarantee of a minimum of a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Now, years and years ago, I, I heard about guys that had minimums of, you know, 60 K or 90 K, um, you know, on some the main these, roster. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, okay. like very, very, very low guys. I'm saying, you know, like the absolute lowest guys that they don't take on tour, but are signed, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a manager type thing. You know, someone who's only on television but doesn't actually tour very much with them. So let's say I don't know, twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. So twenty-five to fifty thousand so in three months. If I'm if I've just got fired from WWE, and if I'm like I think Emma's the hottest one coming off of this. In Agreed. three months, could I make fifty thousand dollars on the indies with merch and everything? Mm. And then again, fifty thousand dollars profit, right? Because this is fifty thousand dollars to do nothing. Yeah, but Versus, in the Indies, they're going to pay for I, all my travel expenses, and, and I'm going well, to collect. will, but you know, are they going to pay for all my meals? Are they going to pay for the cost no. of printing all my T-shirts? No, but you're going to collect all the profit from your T-shirts. Yeah, and so I collect $5 a T-shirt. I'm yeah. not going to sell 10,000 T-shirts. Yeah, I would have to do the math. Yeah, I, I would just argue for most people, it's probably in their interest just to wait the 90 days, get the money from WWE, get the clear and good from them. So you know, thousand dollars divided by twelve weekends, you'd have to pull in in profit a little over four thousand dollars per weekend. So, and let's assume you you operate at maybe I'll give you I'll give you the benefit of the doubt seventy five percent profit. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you're Emma, you can command 
$2,000 a booking, get two, two bookings a weekend. Yep. So the problem, though, is that you got to get 12 consecutive weeks like that booked yeah. versus you could just wait the 90 days, collect the $50,000 and yeah. book 10 of those 12 weekends starting yeah. in January. True. So I, I just I, I get where you're getting with it. But I just I would say for most people, it's not worth it unless you're like an NXT development. Like if you're Sawyer Fulton. I could see maybe there being a situation where you're saying, you know, I signed for a $30,000 downside and, you know, I'm so you're not going to pay me six, you know, uh, $2,000 over six months. I can make $2,000 over three, three months here, you know, so I could see some of these guys doing that. But I think a lot of them would rather take the money now, heal up, train and start getting their bookings in order and then go for it. So. That's just my my impression of it. So you know, it's it's to each their own. If if you are Brian Danielson, for sure you could make your money, you know, killing it more than the downside guarantee is. Because uh, if you're, they would have to pay you such a high downside guarantee that you would never leave the Fed, right? Right. You would you would have to be on the million dollar plus downside guarantee for it to be so ridiculously valuable for you to not work at that point, or for you to be so damaged, um, uh, mentally or physically. Hey, Brandon here. We uh, decided, as we experiment more with WrestleMania Radio here, we decided to take a conversation we had about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, and we're putting that on our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. If you donate uh, $5 or more, you can get access, early access to that. We might drop that later on the Voices of Wrestling Network. And so we're going to finish this half of the podcast off with uh, some audio that we recorded from YouTube, where we went through a uh, number of Google spreadsheets and charts and graphs and whatnot. And we talked over that as we shared our screen over YouTube. And you can find that on our YouTube channel. I don't know if you just Google YouTube WrestleNomics. You should find it within a few clicks. So so here's the second half of the show that's going to have that audio on. And again, if you'd like to find our conversation about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, that will be on our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Chris, we're live. We are. Thank you. This is uh, <laughs> WrestleNomics Radio. It is November 5th, 2017. I am Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined by my North, my Northeast, by Brandon Howard Thurston for knowledge. Howard, uh, how are you today, Brandon? I'm, I'm great, Mookie. Uh, I'm still learning how to use Google Hangouts. So you might have been in a small box or perhaps not even visible when you just said what you said. But I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to talk about whether or not WWE has gotten less popular. Yes. So we, uh, we, we've actually been talking now for two and a half hours. We did, uh, an hour and some change on, uh, WWE and new Japan and some other stuff. We did an hour on the wrestling observer hall of fame ballot. Now we're getting into the good stuff, which is of course, uh, what we like to see. I, I think my camera just went out on us here. Yeah, yeah. We can't see you, but we can hear you. I don't know good. what's going on. That's all that matters. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, why don't we get into the good stuff, which is uh, the spreadsheets that you've been collecting here. Since my camera's not working right, we can at yeah. least. So we'll just start sharing the screen now then. Yeah. Yeah, but I think be... you can look at, this is something I, I, I look at quite a bit, and I think it's pretty consistent where you can see just how far above everybody else John Cena is. And then, then there's Roman Reigns. And then there's like people like who else comes the next closest are people like Seth Rollins and maybe AJ Styles. And of course, you should probably consider Brock Lesnar in there. But I think Brock Lesnar not being on TV as regularly keeps him a little bit lower. Um, now there, there's exceptions, obviously. 
so Brock is the purple line. So we see Brock kind of surpassing yep. Roman periodically, probably when he's doing like a big SummerSlam angle or something. Yeah. Like, this is looks like Survivor Series, the Goldberg match. This is WrestleMania for everybody. Can you replace AJ with um? Or I I don't know if you can add or replace. Um, yeah, There's uh, up to five. We Braun five in here at a time. Oh yeah. You can look at so they show you over here on the left averages over this entire time period that you've chosen. So this is the average for everybody. And Braun Strowman is at a, a three on average in the last twelve months, and Seth Rollins at a five, Lesnar at an eighteen, Roman Reigns at a twenty, John Cena at a thirty-five. And let's um let's finalize this by saying instead of looking worldwide, let's make this just over the United States. So this mm-hmm. is now us kind of zooming in to say perhaps there's different trends where John Cena might remain more popular in other parts of the world where yeah. he's he's kind of become the face of it. And I think the first thing that pops out here is Brock Lesnar's popularity skyrockets compared to what it is worldwide. It where, gets much closer to Roman Reigns. Yeah. Well, and and in, in as of SummerSlam 2017, it even surpasses John Cena, right? Let's look closer. Yeah, it just edges them out. This is I guess I guess it's not SummerSlam, it's the July and pay-per-view period, but oh, yeah. This is was this when he wrestled Joe, maybe? Maybe. This is probably when he wrestled Samoa Joe. So it, we, we definitely see that um, you know, Brock Lesnar has a lot more marquee name value in the United States than say maybe worldwide. Uh Roman Reigns appears to be the significant number two behind John Cena, and John Cena, despite not being on television. Yeah, it was um, at the end of July that that pay-per-view yeah. match. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, you can see John Cena spikes in the um, April, and that's clearly the WrestleMania weekend with the addition of that Nikki Bella proposal. Yep. And it goes back to a talking point we had at the time, which was uh, as meaningless as that Ms. Maurice versus Nikki Bella John Cena match was. It had a good build, but, you know, was not a, a meaningful match per se. Right. The engagement uh, garnered a lot of social media attention, and that's the sort of thing that is captured very strongly by Google Trends. Right. Um, we, we can point out too that there are, we're currently looking at web search. So this is people searching on Google for these people or things related to these people. But we can also look at image search, news search, Google shopping. I've done an article based on looking at Google shopping to make a guess at who's selling merchandise. And we can look at YouTube search as well. Generally though, I, I'm, I'm looking at Google web search when I'm tweeting about things from Google Trends and whatnot. So, so let's get into our numbers that you've been collecting here. Yes. Um, so what we did was someday we'll just do a live, uh, uh, Mookie and Brandon just puts around on Google <laughs> live for everybody, uh, yeah. podcast, which is almost what this is turning into, but, uh, we'll, we'll yeah. actually go back to the numbers you collected. Cause we did have a, a yeah. whole theory we started with here. So what I did was I, if you click on this share button, you can pull a CSV, which is an Excel file. So you can get the data that that's being referred to here. So I pulled that stuff for WWE and I, what does pulled... CSV stand for? Uh, comma separated values or something like that. That right? is correct. That is correct. Well done. Um, so I, I pulled all the data, and I think this is the data tab. So I pulled it uh, for every month for every year from 2004 to the present. So and I, and I pulled it by various regions, by worldwide in its entirety, and then I just pulled pulled it for the U.S., for the U.K., for Canada, for India, for Germany, and for Australia. And I would would you would you say those are the six top markets for WWE? From a dollar basis, uh, U.S. is by far the biggest. Um, U.K. is the second largest TV deal, though by the end of its run, India's TV deal will be a little bit bigger. Um, though U.K. is by far the second largest territory for all of the world. 
And then Canada is part of what the U.S. calls or what WWE calls domestic. And so Canada would be in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Germany is um, reputed to have a big market. And we do see a lot of live events being run there because it's got a good section of live event stadiums to hold events in and does seem to have good consumption. Um, Australia? Probably, yeah, I would, I would argue bigger than Australia – um, from a dollar standpoint, the Middle East, um, you know, we there, there's a reason they go to the Middle East a lot more than they go to Australia, which is because there's a bigger dollar values going on there, and they have a bigger assurgence. Same with Mexico and Japan would be the other ones that would be right on that cusp because obviously yeah, they do I thought about Mexico, including Mexico, maybe Japan. I yeah. guess the thing is, with the well, Middle East, for one thing, it, there's no one country to nope, pick out there nope. that stands above the rest. No, no but uh, I would I would say. Uh, probably those would be the, yeah. So, I mean, I think the top four are very clearly that. And then you get into the weird questions about how big is the Brazilian market? How big is the uh, French, France market? How big is Spain? How big is, um, you know, a lot of these other European countries where they have some presence and mm. some existence. And, and we're kind of jipping Ireland here. They're getting roped in with the UK as usual. Yes, that is a good point. Is that, that yeah, Ireland would be in the top 10 for sure. Uh, for WWE. So, yep. So those are good markets to look at. They're all English speaking markets for the most part, you know, Germany, obviously not, but uh, a lot of, English and there are a fairly good variety of areas throughout the globe, right? Like we've got North America, Europe, Asia, and South Pacific. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why I think Mexico might give you an interesting thing, or there is some, you know, Latin American or South American countries that might give us a little bit more insight. But uh, this is the right people to be focusing on, and this is where they are focusing on very clearly. You know, China would probably be the only other one. But again, when you're looking at China or Japan, you run the risk that you're not actually looking at people that use Google for trends, right? They don't use necessarily Google as their search engine in those countries. And so you're not always getting a very accurate look when you're looking at, at English terms being used by a U.S.-based search engine. Yeah, that's true. So what India has some other search engine that's really popular. Is it Baidu or something? China does. That's a Chinese um China, thing. but doesn't India China. have its own India popular might. search engine? Oh, I am not familiar right. about where India is landing right now. And the same with Japan. You know, I know Yahoo is enormous in Japan. I don't know if they use it for the search engine as much, but um, you know, Yahoo Auctions is bigger than eBay in Japan, for instance. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for uh, laser discs as FMW, let's say, uh, I don't know who would do that. Maybe me. Um, <laughs> you'd go to Yahoo Auctions oftentimes. There, so there you go. So <laughs> I've collected all this data. And remember, this is all relative data, and it's relative within its own region, right? So it's comparing where there's a 100 here in this column for worldwide somewhere if we scroll down long enough. And again, that 100 is the standard that all the rest of the data points are held to. And again, that's just uh, by region. So the U.S. has a, has a 100 somewhere in here, and they're being held to that 100, and so on and so on. Have you done a graph where you where – you graph all six of these countries against the the month kind of in the x value so i can see whether they're all moving in the same directions in the same months what, what are you asking uh so like could i look at the u.s land graph land. over time and then the uk underneath that to see is the uk peaking at the same periods that the u.s is and canada underneath that you want to look at this graph where I, i've averaged each so there's 12 months in a year right so i've averaged the 12 months into one year, right? So here's worldwide in 2005. It goes back to 2004. So we should have 2004 in here as well, actually, but it's not here. But anyway, uh, here's 2005, the average for the entire year 2005 across all 12 months. 
was 41. Can you graph this for me? I know you you love uh, showing me things in, in graphical things. I'm surprised you haven't done it already. No, I don't where know. I see what the U.S. looks like and the worldwide and so forth. But is it even meaningful to make that comparison, though? Because it's Yes, because I want to see whether or not – I mean, I would love to see it on a month-by-month -month basis, but I just want to see, are we seeing the same peak come in the same month for the same territories? So mm -hmm. WrestleMania presumably is the same for all of them. I'm just kind of curious myself if I'm seeing the same trends or whether I'm going to see, say, if India started to pick up in a, in a time period where the U.S. was not picking up, would that suggest to me that Indian interest in WWE has gone way up while WWE's interest is, is rather flat? You're asking me to create a chart live on the air here. I know, and I was like, uh, he's going to hate me for this one. I don't know. If, let's see here. So x-axis you want to be a year. Okay, I, I just did that, and then they gave me a... Yeah, I, I always it, get confused here, you know? It takes me... Like, you want it to be the data set for... Uh, so I want to do, so I wanna, probably want to do this. Google, uh, here, we can talk about Google Docs and Google uh, whatever this is. <laughs> this is all Google. crazy. This is not right. Um, yeah, that's not right, is it? No. This is weird. <laughs> You're doing this very differently than I would, so I, really? it's hard for me to, to give you live... Uh, well, keep keep talking. They've, this is um, a Google. Are we looking at this in a Google Doc? Oh, that's why. Okay, yeah. I'm so used to doing the stuff in Excel that yeah, it's so different for me. I know this is kind of hum humbling for you to uh, to disappoint our five viewers. It was six a few seconds ago. Now it's down to five because somebody was so frustrated, out of rage, they closed their laptop. How can you um, blame them? Yes. So did you just flip over to to Excel? Yeah. Much yeah, better choice. Oh, you're doing spark lines. Oh, that's interesting. No, I don't. I don't know what that is, dude. I don't know. I'm not messing. With I would spark do a line. Lines. Yeah, I do a line chart of just a yeah. column A versus column B. Series name. Yeah. Now, now I know what I'm doing here. Right. Google Google Sheets is, is like the Excel thing for Google that they have, so you can, which is really useful for us because we can share spreadsheets very easily with each other. But when it comes to like making charts and things like that, it's it has gotten better in the last few months, but it's still not. Apparently not good enough that I know what I'm doing. And I, I can show you how you can do this faster too, if you'd like to see really? some time. Yeah, well, you have to give me an Excel class. So up there where it says start data range. Well, it's too late now, but you can tell me while I'm doing it. <laughs> well, you could have just changed the reference to go from basically B1 through B14 or H14 up at the top. Okay, I'll pretend. And I then you that. might have had to rename the uh, series in the end, but uh, and then. But essentially, it would do the same thing you just did. So that's great. All right. So this this helps me a lot. So what I'm seeing here is um, a, a quick view of just kind of how are all of these following a very similar pattern or are they following, a, you know, is there a different development pattern that's going on here? And so you could see someone like Australia and say very quickly, oh, wow, Australia didn't rebound the way a lot of these other marketplaces did. Uh, at the same time, Canada did not rebound the way a lot of these marketplaces did. Uh, on the flip side, worldwide shoots up a lot on, ba on the basis of both U.S. and then uh, that light blue one, which is uh, worldwide, and then the one below that, which is the dark blue one, which is India. So you can see really the influence of India as this overall um, marketplace uh, that's bringing things above. And then yeah. lastly, there's the orangest one. I guess that was US. So what is... Um... We've got we got some ambiguity in colors here. Um, let me see if I can change that a little bit. So we got this purple. Germany. Germany. Germany was the one I was And okay. uh, maybe I'll make this like gray or something. And that's so India. If, if I'm grouping these into kind of where things live, I would say Canada. Um, what's the second to bottom one? Second to bottom is Australia. Second to bottom is Australia? The green well, is Australia. Here. Uh, on, 
under the yellow term, in between the yellow and the green term, what is that country? India. IND is India. No, no, no. I'm I'm talking about actually in the month of 2017. What do you bring your, bring your cursor up? Huh? Bring it down to where the yellow Canada is. Huh? What's the point right below that? India? No, that's the UK. What? What is going on? Why the? Why you the... have two grays. You have two grays. Is my point. Oh my goodness. Okay. All okay. Right. That's where I was confused. Okay. Great. So. I get that, that color. So I have two groups of countries here. Is what this is? What my takeaway here is? I have the UK. I have Canada and I have Australia. So these former British colonies, somehow, <laughs> they're all stuck together. Whereas I have it, the English U.S. Speaking, English, speak, English speaking countries, right? English speaking countries, yes. Uh, and then on the flip side, I have India, the U.S., and Germany that are in this kind of top bucket where they are peaking much higher in 2017 than they were doing back in the 2005 to 2010 range. And I guess intuitively this does make sense because what I'm what I would say is where has WWE's um, focus been very heavily, obviously on India, obviously on the U.S. I think the U.K. trend might be a little surprising to people um, that you know with the investment WWE has done into a UK type brand, even though I recognize they haven't launched it, you would think with the investment they've done on UK specific things, we would see an uptick very similar to what we've seen in these other countries. And so um, it's kind of intriguing to me that we're seeing kind of a flatness in the UK and much more of a peak going on in India. If we go and look at the actual dollars that are being generated in each of these regions, what we'd find is the U.S. is generating the lion's share of the growth for this last year. Um, Asia Pacific is up several million dollars and is probably being driven by a combination of Japan, Australia, and most notably India. And that the U.K. numbers um, spiked in 2015 when they got the huge TV deal signed. And they got all the money for that. That went up by like $20 million year over year in the UK generation. But since then, it's actually been very flat. Now, on top of this, that makes it always confusing is NXT has chosen to tour different areas of the world and generate a few extra million dollars. So one year NXT did the UK tour. One year NXT did the Australia tour. So they've, they've kind of jumped around a little bit of where they're putting that extra money. And live events does include NXT live revenue, even though the attendance trends don't. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of different little things happening here. What this says to me is Canada's not a hot market for WWE. I'm not really surprised because basically ever since they signed that 10-year deal with Rogers in 2014, they haven't done a huge investment, in my opinion, about Canada. Though you could argue the push of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and some of these other people demonstrate that they do have some ability to move in, in Canada. And of course, they just signed a new deal in Quebec for French-speaking television and some other things that they've done, some smaller deals they've done in Canada. But uh, this just is intriguing to me just to say that, you know, not all countries seem to be rising at the same same uh, level. Would you agree with that? That we kind of have a, a difference of kind of two different buckets coming into this last two years? Yeah, but they're, they're moving in similar ways, especially in 2016. And you can – something's happening back here in 06 to 09. Where and that's when the European, you know, market got super-duper hot. And it was really good for WWE to go be over in Europe and make a lot of their money and wrestling was hot, and then it kind of crashed after that. So we, we, we can see it going up in 08 in the U.S. as well. Yeah, yeah, and again, 08 was actually a, a high mark, watermark for them financially. If you look at the numbers, 08 was like a year. I think 09, they actually lost revenue year over year if you looked at it on a revenue basis. Um, but 
Yeah, actually, that might be very interesting is, is plot this against uh, revenue in the future, Google yeah. trend versus revenue uh, overall for the U.S. and just kind of see or domestic revenue since uh, that's broken out for North America to see what that looks like. But yeah, it, it's just intriguing to me to just understand, do all countries move in the same direction at the same time? And, and yes, they generally do. But there are times when someone might peak earlier and then they don't return to that same peak years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, India's surgence over the last uh, three years here is really remarkable, where you can see India in the past from 05 to 2012 was very low. It was almost always the lowest of the group. And then yeah. India now has moved to be the top of the group in 2016, which reflects a lot of the uh, increased media saturation, the WWE network launch in India, and then, of course, the re- the the marketing going on in India, you know, everything from Kavita Devi to um, uh, bring back great Kali. Right? Jinder Mahal, obviously. And do you think this in... This well, Jinder Mahal would not be 2016. Right. So what I'm saying is, do you, th- I mean, look at this, it peaks in Neither would great Kali, technically. Yeah. And do you think they see this data and, and they think, well, we should, let's put the title on somebody who's an Indian, of Indian descent, you know? Well, when they say 75% of our, our social media views come from international territories, and the majority of that is India, I mean, Do it's hard not that? to... No, I think we discussed that. Do we know the majority? I think that's just something uh, that's been repeated. I, I feel like that came out of the comments that George Berrios made about India and the opportunities in India. Um, I, I would have to... I would have I to... Feel like that's a uh, anxiety-influenced uh, comment that's been repeated by people who you know who are talking about Jinder Mahal, but you know. I agree. I agree that we don't know that the majority of the worldwide views that are not coming from the U.S. are India-driven. We do know that if we look at Google Trends, we can see India has an enormous uptick in interest there. We know that they've invested heavily in the media structure there. They've invested in creating their own you know specific shows in Hindi, specifically so they can better you know reach indian marketplaces through their um agreement on what was it sony 10 sports yes um so we we see them doing some things to make us think that a lot of it's coming and the fact that domestically we're not seeing the subscriptions follow and that we do see like you know i think some people have run some analytics on twitter followers and stuff like that we do see you know india spiking up on a lot of these youtube views maybe is even where they're getting some of this information from but i agree we don't know conclusively that three quarters of all international views are coming from india that's an exaggeration we know a, a large portion of them probably are though mm-hmm. especially when you so, you keep in mind other big markets like china aren't really on youtube yeah so when we go back, you want to go back to this thing? Yes, I'm uh, satisfied with my – and it, to me, that just – maybe to you it doesn't tell the same things. But to me, that tells me more of the story in a way that I can start grasping onto it than even looking yeah, at this no. chart. I, I, think, I, think it, I, think it tells, I think it tells something that you notice that's true more than I notice it. Yeah. yeah. So what, what I get away from this then is I look at – we have 2005 through 2017, and then the first column, WW is worldwide. And mm-hmm. it goes 41 – 50, 69, 74, 65, 64, 59, 61, 60, 57, 60, 77, 66. So we started at a low end of a 41.50 back in 05, 06. And then we hit a mini peak in 08 at 74. And then it, it kind of languishes between 09 and 2015 in the mid 60s, dropping as low as 59 and as high as 65. Yep. And then in 2016, it peaks again at 77. And 2017, we're back in the mid-60s, this time at 66, which would be the highest number since 2009, save 2016, but still is not a all-time high by any means. Um, I'm always a little... I would look at this and think, well, 
numbers start to go up in, in this period. And maybe that's the, you know, that's around the time that John Cena and Batista started to become big stars and things start start to go up. And then there's this uh, this period here from about 09 to 15, maybe that are just kind of mediocre. Yeah, there's some markets that really got hot in that era. I'm just talking about Google interest, but uh, Germany and Australia, well, especially Germany, right? Because even, uh, well, it did go up in Australia as well. But the point is, did something happen in 2016 that made WWE more popular or is this, can this be explained by something else other than genuine interest? Um, I think a, we're looking at Google trends and then we're, we're applying the term interest to them. And as we well know, there's many people who turn on a television and never go online. We know that yeah. there's people who tweet online who never turn on a television. Yeah. And I should point out too, Liz. So when, when I've done research based on Google trends before, they'll say, well, well, but more people, throughout these years are Googling more and more. So you really got it. You're not taking that into account, but the Google trend data, data points themselves are already adjusted for that. Because I, the relative values that we get here are all based on the total number of searches overall. Of they, people you know, that were online in that day. Yes. Yeah. So it's and, not and like, it's not like Google's way more popular now. So these numbers should be, should be way bigger than these numbers back here. That's not the case. It's adjusted for that. At least that's what it says in the Google help page about these Google trends. Yeah. It's adjusted for the audience that was available at the time. I think I would still argue there was a lot more people online in 2015, especially in some of these countries like India than there was in 2005. So I, I do think it's but not the should, should adjust for that because it's based on the total number of searches for everything, not just WWE. But I'm saying the availability of broadband internet has exploded in the last 10 years in a way that people that 10 years ago could not even been online are now being represented in these searches. So, you know, if you're a, a low income family living yeah. in a city 10 years ago, you might not have had internet access. Now you have it on your phone every day. Yeah, that's true. So it, it, I'm saying your audience has changed a little bit too in this. So I, I agree of people online in 2005, they're being very representative. I'm just saying, I think the number of people online in 2005 when Facebook was a brand new thing compared to 2015 is hugely different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I do take 05 and 06 a little bit with a grain of salt, um, especially when we get to some of these international markets. I think uh, what the story I see here very clearly is that when the U.S. was struggling, they were propped up by Europe in 07 and 08. Then when um, some of Europe began to kind of cool down from 09 to 13, um, the U.S. was kind of languishing. And if we looked at the revenue and the profits during this time, what we'd see is steady profits, steady revenue, very little excitement. And, you know, their stock also reflected this. Uh, this is when they're, you know, basically locked back into a deal, but they also recognize that they don't really have anything exciting to kind of sell to investors. And things like classics on demand and whatnot aren't really exploding in any way. The film division isn't really exploding in any way. If anything, it's becoming a a, um, a, a laggard on the entire system. And they're struggling to figure out what are they going to do. They're getting out of, you know, their old uh, uh, THQ deal. They're going into their new 2K deal, stuff like that. And, it's, and I think it's, like it's a time of transition what, is what I see. And I think what the average fan most commonly misunderstands is I think the, the common fan assumes that W's business is much more volatile than it is. Like they, there's an, ass, an assumption that, you know, I, an, an angle can change things or that uh, this year things are, are, are changing or getting worse or getting better. And uh, this business and pro wrestling, I think in general is less and less affected by things like angles and especially W's very efficient corporate machine 
is less and less vulnerable to, I don't know, uncertainty or, you know, some, some big angle happening or some, some star not getting over, uh, even their ratings declining as they have has not stopped this machine. Yeah. And, and again, it's the difference between revenue interest and, you know, whatever yeah. other metrics we want to put on here, their revenue generation mechanism is very solid. Their interest generation mechanism is probably dependent on what angles they're running time to time. We do see that changing, you know, the, those trend lines you looked at for those wrestlers show that when John Cena proposes to Nikki Bella, it gets buzz. When Brock Lesnar wrestles Samoa Joe, it looks like it has an effect on, on the interest in that. But a lot of times those are short-lived spikes. And like you say, they're very unrelated to the business. And that, I think, is one of the takeaways Dave Meltzer had on the last quarter's earnings that I agree with, which was last quarter, we lost about 68,000 subscribers worldwide. A year ago, we lost 61,000 subscribers worldwide. Arguably, this last year has in the quarter had much stronger pay-per-view events and much stronger build. And yet it had very little effect on the overall WWE Network subscriber business, which doesn't seem to be much of a modular business. Meanwhile, pay-per-view buys, which is plummeted, is a tiny part of the business, grew 24% according to the 10Q in the number, the percentage of buys over that time, suggesting people that did care to watch these events did go out and buy them on pay-per-view if they didn't have a network subscription or if they were in a marketplace that only offered it on, on pay-per-view. And so I thought that was really interesting because it says to me that, yes, you can do an attraction-based business for pay-per-view, but you're not a pay-per-view-based business anymore. And as a network-based business, it's just about the, modu- the, the, the slow and steady. Yeah. So the biggest takeaway I got from this was, and we can sh- show the percentages in just a second, that everybody's about this level, 60, 60, 45, 44, and so on. They go up in, in 2016. and then everybody's down, right? 77 to 66, 67 to 60, 51 to 42, 51 to 45, 81 to 63, 41 to 34, 73 to 61. Everybody's down. So if you look look at that from a, a – I'll just click on the thing. So we're looking at in these cells here, let's compare 2005 to the year before 2004, and what is the change in terms of a percentage? So, it's so your point here, Beers, 05 I grew. 06, I grew. Yep. 06, 07, I started to flatline. 08, I started to drop in most places. 09, I was dropping. And then 2010 to 2014, I'm basically flat. I'm up a couple percent. I'm down a couple percent. Yeah. Maybe a market or two, I might be going up. And then 2015, 2016, I see a country like India exploding, and that's driving the worldwide number up. But all the yeah. other marketplaces, with the exception of maybe Germany, are actually in single-digit growth. And then 2017, 10 months in, compared to a full month 2016 number, which is a little apples and oranges because we're missing October, November, December. Uh, I'm sorry, November, December. Um, we're we're we missing, see, yeah, just November, yeah, in December. We see, we see negative numbers across the board. And my point is when you're down 20% from 2016 uh, in, in or you know, you're down 14%, I guess, is the number here. What's the absolute number, though, on worldwide? It's still actually the second highest number over the last 10 years, right? Right. It is. 66 no, compared to from 2009 to 2016. Only once has it been hotter. So while the, the got, overall number three, has three years where, where it was bigger. Three years. Well, I'm not counting. I'm, I'm going from 2008 or 2009. From two, 2009 to 2017, it's the second yeah. highest. Um, yeah. And so that, that tells me. Yes, it's cooler 
than it was a year ago. But let's not also fool ourselves into thinking cooler means dead. Because if right. you're rock, if you're red hot, um, I was going to say rock hard, but that's that's a bad analogy. If you're red hot, <laughs> you go down by a, a percentage. You can still be hotter than you were before. And while I'm thinking about, it, we should consider too that interest it doesn't necessarily mean positive interest. Like this 2007 year is skewed by the Chris Benoit murders. Great point. Great point. And that's something we, yeah. that we see a lot when we look at WWE trends over time. Is that because, you know same, same with Paige, right? Like we said, yeah, Paige right. was one of the top four people. She's not one of the top four people because people are so into her in ring work. There, there, the fact that that so many pictures and videos of her have been spread over the internet. Uh, over the last year has had a huge impact on, on page shooting up in these trends. So like the 100 standard that we talk about in the case of WWE, uh, their 100 standard is June, 2007. And that's when the Chris Benoit murders happen. So, so interest doesn't always mean good interest. It doesn't mean it's productive for the company or, but I I would think generally with some big exceptions, uh, generally, I think it does have to do with, it, I think it will. It doesn't necessarily relate to revenue of the company overall, but I do think it relates to how many people are interested in thinking about WB. Like I think that's why Google Trends are valuable because they give us an idea of what people are thinking about, and I can break this down by a region and by a, by a range of time. So I think that can be really insightful. I think like any tool, it gives us more information rather than less information, and depending on what conclusions we draw from it, it will hopefully make us better in our holistic understanding of what's changing in this business. I think it's easy to overemphasize any one tool and especially the simplest tools that there are at your fingertips. Sometimes we become too reliant on it. And so like every year when Dave does his breakdown of like the top hundred athletes based on Google trends, I always have some issues about, you know, or is it right to be comparing X with Y because you know, the, the 10th biggest soccer star is it really comparable to say that they're more popular yeah, or less popular? And, and I think a lot of it has to do with like how often you're on TV. Like, let's compare Conor McGregor to to John Cena. Um, I'm, let me see what the result is here. But like John Cena, on average, is a this is over the last let's just let's just look at the last twelve months. Uh, okay, well, that's a different thing. All right. So Conor McGregor was in this, then in the huge fight with uh, Mayweather, and that put him way over. So I guess that's not the example that I wanted. What about Ronda Rousey? Yeah. Okay. So John Cena's in the last twelve months is a little has a little more interest on average throughout the entire period than than Ronda Rousey does. But when Ronda Rousey, this is probably when she had her her last UFC fight. She's a hundred to seven compared to can, John Cena. Or like, can you bring Cena's the time frame down to the last six months? Yep. Let's see here. Or ninety days, whatever. Just some some time okay. frame that that takes out that one event. Okay. Uh, and we can see, you know, depending on the point in the year, she's had some times where she's flirted with being as popular as Cena, like in in the end of August, um, and then the rest of the time here. And I, and that end of August time frame would probably be around the May Young Classic, May Young right? Class. This is when she's shooting May, angles. May Young, being, this is when May Young Classic, I think, starts to drop on the network. Because it was taped yeah. back in June or something. Yeah, this is this is this this is the week. Maybe this and that. This is every day though. But anyway, the end of August is when the first round dropped. I think. So we we can yes, I think it gives us a, a idea of how to compare X and Y sometimes, but it doesn't always mean X versus Y is more popular. Because there's also that idea of why is someone searching for certain terms over time. 
you know, does that mean that they're really more interested in them or is it because some news is broken about them like we talked about there? And, you know, clearly a lot of people are more willing to look for uh, uh, certain pictures of female athletes online than they might be looking for male athletes uh, who yeah. they have a different interest in at that time. So we can take a look at that, actually. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, more people want, want pictures of John Cena than Ronda Rousey. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we, we should be using this to optimize. You and I have found that there are certain terms that if we add to our podcast, it does seem to make us more popular. And both yeah. Ronda Rousey and John Cena are two of those terms. So right. we have learned that over time. So let's get and back it, to and your... in fact, we've gone from four viewers to seven in the time that we've uh, started talking about John Cena and Ronda Rousey. But anyway. Well, that, that could have just been me uh, continuously trying to tweet out this link and then deleting oh. the tweet and then retweeting it. And so that might have caused some uh, bizarre counting. But yes, hopefully there are more viewers. And if you are a viewer and you want to comment right now, we do have a live chat box going on in YouTube and we are monitoring that. So you're welcome to uh, to quote on things. So you have all these data points. You have all these countries yeah. of the world. Can you give me some conclusions or takeaways here? I think one of your first takeaway was that 2017 is a little cooler than it was 2016. India yeah. uh, has become a force in the last three years for um, being a big worldwide market. And sometimes when we say worldwide WWE is up, we might actually just be talking about the over influence from the Indian market, it appears like, because some of these other markets are not showing nearly the growth. Mm -hmm. Those so, are, I put words in your mouth for two of those. What other can well, well, let me explain what I did here. So we're, I'm, I'm, I want to show you this other tab called descriptions here, but I'm just explain how I got to what's in there first. Uh, so I broke these all down by, by month. Uh, for each region. So they have the United States for January through December for each year. And you can compare those across uh, the, the years. And you can do that for the UK and for, and for Canada and so forth. So then I, this isn't isn't necessary to understand what we're doing here, but I transpose them. Basically, basically I just uh, changed the axes here. And I defined that if uh, you've got, let's see, if you, if you made a difference of between Negative five percent and positive five percent. I'm going to define that as little change, and if it's uh, I think over five percent, but more than it's more than five percent, but less than ten percent, I'm calling that a slight increase. I think it's more than ten percent, but less than I think it's fifteen or twenty-five. Then I'm calling that moderate increase, and then we don't have any examples of, of it in here. But if you go up to like fifty percent, I'm not going to call that an exceptional increase. So basically, I've, I've taken these ranges of difference and given them names, which I. I, I hope you will agree are fair. Um, yeah, though I got to teach you how to use a uh, uh, lookup comma true because you're instead of writing a fifty seven thousand uh, linked if statement, I can show you how you can oh, do yeah. this using just a simple v lookup with then That's instead great. of comma false, it's a comma true. Yeah. So this is how I wrote the formula for all you Excel fans out there. <laughs> it's um, so inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> so all angry. Right. All right. So, so anyway, what, what we get out of all that stuff is let's take all the, the regions that we're looking at here, all seven of them, if you include worldwide, and look at the, the difference over each year from the year prior, okay? And what we get here is we get a, we get a really nice, consistent, moderate decrease across, uh, across 10 months. As you said, that's, it's not quite apples to apples because we're looking at all 12 months of 2016 versus just the first 10 months of 2017. But uh, I think it's worth it. Yeah, and... I could even see a model here where what you would do is come up with uh, some weighting. So let's say uh, we have revenue split by region, right? We are we do get that every quarter, every year. And I could take those revenue splits 
And what I could do with them is I could assign each one of these uh, countries that you've put here some index of what their value is. And so I might say, well, 75% of my, my, my money comes from the US and Canada. So they both get a 75 index. And the UK is the next biggest and it represents 12%. So I'm going to put a 12 there. And then I would, I would instead of having my worldwide just be equal to the, the flat number that they decide to mash them all together, I would rather take my weightings and then apply them to all the countries and come up with my weighted revenue index. So that while India might be driving a lot of searches, since it's such a small part of my revenue index, it would actually get a much lower number. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're, I, we're looking I, at within the country themselves, right? They're not hold to, being held to any wider standard. They're being held to the standard of their own country's performance in the previous year. Yeah. So I, I would almost suggest that we create that the WrestleNomics revenue index where you take yeah. those different things and then that way it would say, hey, you know what? A slight increase in the US is worth a the, whole the lot more index. than a massive increase in India or yeah, something. Some, someday when people reflect on the history of professional wrestling, they're going to talk about the Mookie index, I bet. There's going to be some stat like that. The 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 Mookonomics? There you go. Something there. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's you you're you're creating your interesting storyline that says basically WWE interest has decreased this year moderately in all these different key countries of the world. And part of that is just because and, they and didn't again, find let's stress it does this doesn't mean that W business is about to die. No, this, this company's making more weed, uh, more more money every year, more revenue and, and, and more profit, or or no, we can get into that as well. But um Interest has decreased across the board, it looks like, based on Google Trends at least. Maybe, maybe there's fewer people searching for WWE for whatever reason. But again, that doesn't mean that uh, everybody's... Well, check out, let's look at the uh, WrestleNomics document really quickly. And this ties in well to the thing I've been talking about, which is average North American event attendance trailing 12 months excludes WrestleMania. So what I did here is I took all the quarterly numbers of what was happening, uh, how many events did they run, and then I figured out what the trailing four months or four quarters were so that I had a full you know, year's worth every 12. So I could look at a 12-month view continuously going on. So the first thing you would notice when you look at this line is you'd say, oh, they run on average 300-some events per year. And this would only include um, – this would only include the Raw and SmackDown touring brands. This doesn't include just, that. just main roster. And we're looking at number of events over here, right? On and, orange. And, and, and then that's, that's what, on the right that's, side. So the orange is the number of events. Yes, orange is number of events. And then the blue... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.